Welcome back. This is the TKW podcast. That is the Knicks Wall podcast for those listening. This is Mike Cortez here. Joining me today on this special episode, Kyle Maggio, Sean Geddes. If you've been sleeping under a rock, you've missed probably one of the more fun Knicks experiences, and that's not even a game. In recent memory, first playoff win in eight years. And I'm going to toss it over to Kyle Maggio, who was in the garden for probably the most hyped I've seen it since Carmelo Anthony was around. So, Kyle, I'm going to take it away. I'll let you take it away. The floor is yours. Just explain how raucous Madison was because it felt like a madhouse. I haven't felt, uh, felt that place shake like it did last night since Carmelo on Easter. Um, it's been a long, like that. It's been, you know, 10 actual years since that happened. And that's, that's sort of the point was we've had some good years since then. I'm sure some of the mellow era playoff games are rowdy. So I'm not going to sit here and say it was definitively the most rowdy, but I think after game, like, it was a strange spot going into game two because I felt like game one, like everybody was just hype, like hype and, and, you know, we're back and and this is great. And, you know, the way it should be because everybody was wild for game one, but in game two, after the loss felt more like, man, like we gotta show up tonight. Like, like there was this like violent energy when you walked in of like, well, we're going to beat the shit. Like they got to wake up. We're going to scream at the Knicks until they wake up to beat the shit out of the Hawks. Like was almost the vibe. And so that whole first half was like ugly, ugly, just Derek Rose forcing shots. And you know, those, those runners that he does that he hits cause he's Derek Rose is a good tough shot maker. Um, but it was ugly basketball in the first half. I don't even know how they scored as many points as they did because they were shooting like 16%, 25% from three. Like it was true, like truly embarrassing basketball, disgusting basketball to watch. It was like two different games. And then you go to the second half. I, I just got back to my seat from get food. There's like 10 minutes uh, left, nine, 10 minutes left. And they start going on a little run, you know, RJ hits a shot and, and Rose is still cooking. And you, you could just kind of feel like, all right, I mean, we're hanging in, but if they're going to make a move, they got to make a move soon. And then, you know, lo and behold, uh, they just, they just went nuts, man. I mean, Reggie, awakened Randall awakened in the third and at the Randall one was obviously the one everyone's holding their breath for. So once Randall starts getting going, it was like the weight was lifted. Cause after that, just good vibes all the way around. Every, every little assist, any kick out immediately, everybody had their hands up, you know, like, you know, the three, like, that's it. It's going like every single time it was in unison. Uh, the screaming was good. The chanting was good. I mean, everybody was just when Reggie had some of those shots, like, it was like, it was shaking. Like I felt it underneath my, my feet, everything was shaking. And it's just, it's been a long time since we felt that, you know, and, and in a win. And when they came back after being down in the first game too, it was like, it was just rowdy, you know? And then even, uh, you know, we're, we're leaving, you know, I saw Obi and Knox getting some extra shots up, whatever. Cause I was waiting. I couldn't get any, you can't, you couldn't leave. Everybody packed out like one, this, the same five minutes. I, I'm, still a pandemic. I'm not trying to be jammed in there like sardines. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a few minutes, you know, just for that to clear out. And then I, I start to get out and then obviously I posted the video that went nuts and 
uh, I, I see all the fans. I just stood out there for probably like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just wait, just looking, taking it all in. It just felt good to be down there. You know, everybody celebrating and you just high fiving strangers and shit. You're walking out. The ushers are hugging you. Everybody's so happy. It's just like that. That's why you're a fan. You know what I mean? That's why you go to the game to see, to see a win, to, to see a hard fought win, to see your team do that. You know, you, you do it so you can be around the other fans and uh, not just them, but everybody, the staff, the, the, the environment itself. Um, you know, it's, it's the greatest place in the world when, when the Knicks are good. We say it's the greatest place in the world a lot, and then when the Knicks are bad, you sort of like – sounds like you're just saying it just to say it sometimes, but then it takes one game when they win while they're good for you to just really, like, feel it again, you know? And I couldn't sleep last night, man. I was up till 3 a.m. Like, I, I don't even want to keep talking anymore because I'm just so – I'm just so excited. I was up till 3 a.m. I couldn't sleep. I woke up at 7 a.m. No reason. Just started watching replays rewatch the game like it's a sickness it's a sickness being a sports fan but like i mean this is it's it's just so much fun like how could you not like everybody that was there you, you look at the video everybody's screaming jumping waving towels everybody's doing so, some different way to contribute to the celebration i mean and it's just one game but like it just reminds you that like man like winning does feel good we should have fun when we win like this is this is a nice feeling i would like more of this i would subscribe to this every year how do we do this Every year, I would like to do this all the time. So I, I, I couldn't have had a better time. That was that's probably for me a top three guarding game, uh, very easily, in my life. I mean, I'm only thirty. I mean, in my lifetime. So I mean, that was a what a great win. It it really was such a beautiful win, man. Like that's what I'm happy for you for being able to be there because the energy was amazing in game one when I was there and we lost. And, you know, I, I feel like I was robbed of that moment. Like I was really excited to do post game prosperity in the streets with everybody going crazy and interviewing people who were jumping around. And then when that floater went in, it was just like, damn, none of that gets to happen. I had to do post game pouting really sad out on seventh street by myself, but you know, just the, the feeling in the garden when we're winning the feeling in the garden, and like the way the tide turned, like I, I wasn't even there, but I felt it. Like when Obi got that block and ran out in transition and got the lob, bro, like the building exploded. <laughs> bro, that it was, was insane. So lit. That was a nah, top five lit moment, dude. Real, like real quick on that too. I have like the only time I do screaming during games is when like, I like, I know something's about, and we all do this as fans, I'm sure. But like, like for me to explicitly scream in an arena, I'm by nature, you know, I'm, I'm brash online, whatever. When we do this pod by nature, I like to just beat to myself. I like to go to the game. I don't like to talk to anybody. I just like to watch the game. I like to be very focused, just watch and observe. I don't like cheering high five. And normally that's why yesterday for me to get like so caught up and it's like a big deal. Cause normally I literally just sit there and I just want to watch and I, and I'm very stern and I, you know, the OB thing, I, I was standing up. I took my hat off and then as soon as as soon as Burks crossed like right by half court you see Obi running as like that's when you notice how fast Obi was running cuz he was booking it up the right side of the court and that's when you like it hits you and right as right as he like catches up and then is about to pass Burks you're like oh he's got to throw the like he's got to throw it like where else is he going to do he's got to throw it so like you hear immediately like me and then a couple of the other early people like 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 Obi, like you have to throw the ball, throw the ball. And then everybody notices when Obi puts his hand up and everyone's like, throw the ball. And then you, you hear everybody like, throw it up, throw it up, like throw it to Obi. And then right after everyone starts screaming for him to throw it up, the ball leaves Burke's hands. And then like, you can just like hear like the ball's in the air and everybody like lost their fucking mind because he actually did what everybody wanted him to do. And it's like, those are the moments that you go for. Like, that's exactly why, because then Obi catches it. Now, Obi, you no, know, he's midair and he already knows like, all I gotta do is throw the shit down. Cause he's already trying to celebrate. 
Like he's midair. You could see he's already too excited. He throws that shit down. He's on the rim. Like, I can't fuck. Like, I can't believe we pulled that off. Like, it was a, too easy. Absolutely too easy. Comes off. He's like, you know, pumping the crowd up. It's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. I mean, that's that's Knicks basketball, man. That's playoff Knicks basketball. It was beautiful. I gotta and, ask. And, oh, go ahead, Sean. No, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. No, I was, I was gonna ask. Did you guys feel like the game was over at that point? Because once Obi hit that alley oop, I don't know about you guys. I felt like momentum was never gonna swing back to the Hawks. I know they had like a little run once Trey came back, but after that, I felt like they were never gonna fully regain control of that game. I agree because, like, I in that moment, it was just like, okay, the garden just exploded. Like, we just, you know, and it was like the cap off on a run. Like, it was like, yeah, the, the whole tide has turned. Like, it was lockdown defense leading to transition and getting exactly. And it's funny because, like I said, I wasn't there, but I could kind of hear because I, I, the same thing when I saw Obi running, I was like, okay, like, whoa, this is going to be a great play. Like, come on, come on, what's going on? And then the ball went up in the air and everybody kind of went nuts right there. Like, it was just like, and then when he crashed it down, it was like the garden crashed with him because everybody was just waiting on that moment. And yeah, I, I, those are things that it's tough to come back from. I mean, they made their little comeback and everything, but like Kyle said, once Julius got going, everybody, everything was good vibes because you just kind of know, even if a team makes a run, you know that we're good. Once Reggie was hitting shots, I knew that we won the game. I, I was just going to say it was, for me, it was Reggie. Like the, the lob was great, but then like the, the, the way Reggie was hitting threes, cause like the first game, I don't know that he was nervous, but he was just missing the shots. Like he got, he actually got really good looks in game one, but like, the way that he was taking these was like different. Like he was like, they were like, fuck you threes. I don't know how to describe it, but the way that he was like running off his screens, like it was so precise. And like, he knew like, I got to get to this spot and I'm going to shoot this. I'm going to shoot the ball. I, I'm going to catch the ball. I'm going to shoot the ball. I'm going to score the, like, that's how I felt watching him last night because he was like moving with such purpose. So when he hit like a couple of the threes in the third, I was like, that, that's it. Because every time he hit a three, like everybody lost their mind. Cause like at that point, it feels like we got our old reliable back is the way I felt. Like, if Reggie's hitting his shots, that means – and Randall just got going. It's like, good fucking luck, buddy. That's what That was the whole point we brought up in game one. It was like, I mean, we lost by two, and those guys are always automatic, and both were off. So if some, some variation of them are working now, I mean, we were going to be in good shape. So once Reggie started hitting threes, I felt excellent. Like, that's when I started to have a real peace of mind. Like, all right, I mean, even if it comes down to the wire, like, I, I like our chances now. Yeah, Reggie was fantastic. And it was really fun to hear Clyde and Breen. They kind of felt like fans last night, which they were kind of in game one, but more so last night where even with the OB dunk, Clyde didn't even finish his full thing. He was just like, throw it up. Yeah. And it was just so good to see because they've gone through so much shit watching just endless amounts of garbage for like the last better half of, I would say, 20 years almost of just a lot of bad basketball. So it's really fun to watch them see a grassroots team come in. But Kyle, I have to get a garden reaction coming out of halftime. We all knew if Alfred Payton came out to start the second half, the fans were at least going to check out and maybe even the team. What was it like when you guys saw Rose tried out there? Because I felt like this was coming. This was 72 games in the making Thibodeau finally relented. I just, was it as, was the reaction same? Because online, we were all happy. We were like, holy shit, he finally made the move. I feel like online, it was almost easier to have a reaction. I actually didn't look because it, it was, I mean, you go to any playoff game, it's going to be a zoo. 
So that's how it goes, but especially at halftime. When you, I, I was your typical, I don't like, I like never leaving my seats. Like I, I'm that guy. I show up before tip. I sit in my seats. I don't move until halftime. I, I try not to move even then. And then if I really got to go get something, I go, I come right back. I don't move again. Like I don't want, I hate, I hate missing stuff. I go to halftime. Of course I miss the first minute or two of the third. So I didn't see Derek Rose and I was trying to stay off my phone because for once in my life, I like to try to live in the moment with this game. So I wasn't trying to check once I was getting food and I didn't even want to assume was why I wasn't checking either. Cause I wasn't like, Oh, is he going to, I just assume like Alfred's going to be fucking back out there. I don't, I don't care. Like I'm not checking for another update. It's, like you said, 72 games of this, this year where I'm like, is Alfred finally going to get pulled? Is this, is this finally going to be the time? And every single time I'm the clown looking at my phone. Cause Alfred's just back out there. So I just, you know, I don't care anymore. I get to my seat, you know, I put my food down, put my drinks down, get situated. I look up and I did like a double take. I was like, Derek Rose. And I look back at the screen. I was like, did, did like Alfred come in, get foul trouble real quick? Like, did I, did I miss something? So I'm trying to like, then I, then I check my phone. And everyone's like, yeah, Derek Rose just starting the second half. I was like, huh? And then like, then like there was this weird sense of like calm. And I was like, I mean, Der- Derek's just going to play the entire second half, I guess. So, I mean, he's, he must, he's the only offense that we've had in this game. Cause that was my other reaction too. was like, Interesting time to choose doing this with Rose when he has to be the entire offense at this moment in time. Like there was other easier times to have done this with less pressure. And now it's just like, well, Alfred was so bad and you were so good and nobody else was good. Now you have to just figure it out, man. I'm just going to leave you in there. Good luck. And I was like, nah, I, don't, I didn't love that. But at the same time, I mean, we finally got number six off the court. Can't complain. You can't beat that. And, and obviously the, the proof is in the pudding because they had an excellent second half. The defense didn't skip a beat without big, tough defender, Alfred Payton. So the, the defense was exquisite. Uh, I, I just, he can't start again. Right? I mean, there's no, you, you don't get, you, you don't have that happen to you in a playoff game, in the middle of a game. This is, this is why my last note, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on it, you know, but this is why we genuinely meant it was doing a disservice to Alfred. Like we, we genuinely, because this, it brings me no joy to like laugh at Alfred Payton for having an incident like that happen on national TV in a, in a playoff game. Like just, it, it doesn't like, it's not, it's not a funny thing. Like it shouldn't, he's on, he's on my favorite team. Like I don't want that to be happening to a player on my team. You know what I mean? But the coach put or whoever, whatever the politics to the situation could be potentially, they put him in a bad spot. They just keep trotting him out there so that fans could yell at him and get increasingly angry at him. And it's like, well, are you trying to help his image or hurt his image at that point? Because now I don't understand. And I really got to, you know, I feel we got to a point these last two months, especially where they've just sort of hurt whatever his image was. Um, and, I, and I just feel like whoever was responsible for that's probably got some explaining to do, whether it's, it's Tibbs or somebody else. Cause like they, they really didn't, even if it was Tibbs, right. As good as Tibbs has been, it's not like some Tibbs is trash criticism. He's been amazing. This is the one big issue. I just felt like I, I don't know what you want Alfred to do. He's not he doesn't have the game to do what they want him to do. He doesn't he doesn't play the level of defense that they need him to play. He doesn't play make how they need him to play make. He doesn't shoot how they need him to shoot. Score even just generally, however he can score doesn't help them. Uh, he's averaging I think over the last month like like less like sub thirty percent twenty percent slash line. It's just you're playing a guy who either just simply is really bad or just doesn't want to be here or both. And I just don't know why you would keep forcing him into it. So I, I 
can't imagine he's going to start the next game. I don't know how you guys feel about that and what the overall reaction was uh, when he wasn't starting. But, Mike, I'll just leave it to you there. I think Kenny Smith hit the nail on its head. He said Alfred. Well, first of all, he didn't remember Alfred's name, which was embarrassing in itself. But he's an honorary starter at this point, and it, it's really starting to bite them in the ass because last night they started in a seven-point hole. Alfred was a minus seven. Game one, same thing. He's just not bringing anything to the floor. And you mentioned he's not a good defender either. There was a couple plays in transition where he picked up genuinely nobody. So it really is a disservice. You hit on it last pot and just now where his reputation now is taking a hit. And like now I don't think he's going to get like maybe if you made the move sooner, he could at least recoup like, you know, a decent offer. I'd be very surprised if he gets anything above the veterans minimum and is on a team next year. Just off the rep, I don't think he's a bad basketball player. I've said this before. I do think he just doesn't fit with this team whatsoever. And it's kind of snowballed to the fact where if you watch him, you could say, this guy doesn't know how to play basketball. And it kind of sucks. But having said that, I am very happy Derrick Rose is starting, guys. And I hope this is the start of Thibodeau saying, okay, enough's enough. If Tibbs if, if Tib shots number six out there to start next game, I, I I don't know. I don't, I really don't even know what to say anymore. I mean, cause I've been saying, we've been saying it all year. I mean, all since the preseason, since the moment we resigned him to be honest, but we've been saying it all year and it's been true all year. And it's just gotten sure as the year went on. And last night it just really came to a head. Like it had, you saw it happen. It, we finally made the switch that we've wanted tips to make. It's just, I don't know, like we're, I'm, I'm where you were on, you know, it's been 73 games and he hasn't done it. But yesterday I was really at my wits end. I was like, yo, like that was what I was saying in the, in the halftime hopefuls. I was just like, one, I don't care about anything else is going on. I don't know how Trey Young is guarding Alec Burks and Alec Burks isn't getting the ball, except that one possession where you hit a turnaround fadeaway and then never got the ball back. We still need to be attacking Trey Young every time. How do you shoot 29% and a half and Trey Young is on the floor? Like if you're shooting 29%, whatever you're doing is not working. Stop it and give the ball to the guy with Trey Young on him and make them figure it out. One time RJ got the, he got a switch with Trey Young on him. He got the ball. And it wasn't even in the post. That's the thing about it. You don't even have to be in. He's that small and that bad defensively. You don't even have to be on the post. RJ caught the ball at like the three point line in the corner and just kind of turned his head, turned his head. And the defense all had to shift. He threw a cross court pass to Reggie three points. He didn't even put the ball on the floor, bro. It's that simple. So yeah, I don't know how we're not attacking that every time, but my only thing I said other than that was yo if Tibbs tries to bring number six out here after all this I'm going to scream and Derek Rose came out and it felt good it was like finally we finally got it and so I just you know if you have a guy we already thought it was weird to start a guy for four minutes and a half and not play him for the rest of the half but if you have a guy that in a playoff game when you decide you really need to make things happen he has to not play for the entire half he may not be the answer as a starter and there's no way of justifying it. And yes, it's done a complete disservice to him. And last time in post game prosperity, some people were saying they felt bad for him. I personally do not. Um, I, they were like, you know, what do you like? How must it feel to have all these, all this, all this fan hate or whatever. I was like, I don't know. I think, I think it made me go work on my jumper. So like, I don't really feel bad for him. Um, he's sulked. He doesn't try. I, I, if he, if Alfred was the type of guy who was like diving on the floor for loose balls and, you know, making Tony Allen type plays, you know, Tony Allen wasn't very skilled basketball wise, but he played as hard as he could. Then I would feel bad for him. I don't feel bad for a guy that's not trying if we're mad at him for not trying. 
Um, but yeah, it's been a disservice because you just it's on national television now. Kenny's at the at the board at halftime talking about how disinterested he is in the game and a playoff game. Then you have another playoff game where you gotta like pull him completely. So I, I was saying that too, just like you said, Mike. I'm not really sure. Like, you know, I don't ever try to speak on people's jobs or wish Ellen anybody. Like, I have no personal things against him, but it's gonna be tough. I mean, he signed with us this year for one year, five mil, aka there probably weren't many offers out there already. And I he had a couple triple doubles last year. So, you know, I can't imagine that his value has gone up from what's going on right now. So that's unfortunate. But, yeah, it's really – I'm really glad. I hope we continue to start Rose or if he, I mean, wants to figure something else out, wants to keep Rose up. I mean, I don't know. Rose played 39 minutes, and he seems fine. Like, yeah. you you can start a guy and not – starting him probably makes it easier to not play him 39 minutes. Like, you can really figure out a rotation with him instead of just saying, all right, we need you to cover all of the minutes that this guy didn't take. So I, you know, I think that's pretty simple. So make that happen. Make Rose the starter. Bring quickly in at a reasonable time. You have Burks to handle backcourt responsibilities as well. Like you, it's you have guards, bro. You can figure it out. It's time. Just be the best team we can be for forty-eight minutes possible. Alfred Payne through two games, a single point in thirteen minutes on the floor, one assist, one steal, one foul. That's yeah. it. Not the the point that you brought up though about about like the Rose minutes too and his rest. It, it got to it got to the point now when like, for example, the point everybody kept bringing up about why it was oh, why it maybe wasn't good for Alfred to start, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world because he wasn't closing the games or he wasn't playing the bulk of the minutes. Like that's like the common refrain you hear. Well, what's the harm? We've won games this way with this strategy. The problem was. If you follow the trend, the trend ends up overextending the bench guys. And if you overextend the bench guys consistently while increasing their roles consistently, you then throw out the strategy that you were trying to accomplish in the first place. Because it started off at a place where, okay, you can say you're trying to use it to get Rose some minutes with the second unit, whatever. But then when Burks comes back and Burks is really good and he could do some point guard stuff, right? Leading the offense and then quickly comes in, score a bunch. It's like, well, what's exactly, well, well, where's the problem now? Like, why do you need Derrick Rose to play with the second unit? Why can't Derrick Rose get some breathing, you know, breathing room? Why does that even matter that you want Derrick Rose to be partially with the second unit when in the second half, he pretty much turns into a starter, except for the first two minutes of the half, because it's even less than the first half when Alfred plays barely any minutes. So then all of a sudden it comes to, like you said, now Rose has got to play the whole third quarter. Now he's not coming off the bench really. So now, so now what? And like you said, we got two other guards. Everybody always likes to say that too. Well, if you make Derrick Rose start, then what, what are we going to do off the bench? I mean, we all watch the basketball games, right? We're all Knicks fans. We're all watching the basketball games. I mean, surely, right? So we're all watching that Alec Burks is coming off the bench and fucking cooking all season, right? We're all, we're all watching that when he's healthy. We're watching him do like point whatever stuff, even if it's not traditional point guard. He's being a playmaker, right? He's leading the offense. He gets a bunch of assists. He's a good offensive initiator. You're seeing quickly come in, get his floaters, get his free throws, get his threes, right? He's scoring. So what are we talking about? We have guards. You just play them more minutes. It's that simple. I don't, I don't even understand. Everybody loves to overcomplicate things. Everybody acts like basketball is like a never-ending equation of problems and that you know, no matter how you, – you're, you, know, you can always find a new problem or a new thing to fix it. Sometimes it's not that. You just bench out for pain, increase the other two's minutes. Derrick Rose doesn't have to play 48 fucking minutes a night anymore. And we all win. That's it. We don't start off in a hole. It's very simple. Like some shit is very simple, especially with the team that Tibbs has constructed 
that has fixed so many of the other holes. It makes the one glaring hole so obvious that that's why we know that that's the only issue. The defense, you can't get a better defense than the New York Knicks right now. All season, you can't get a better defense. The offense even wasn't even that great. And they still had a bunch of 40% three-point shooters. They needed to shoot more threes. They needed more scoring, more offense. And the only way to do that is with another guard who's going to be apt and capable of doing those kinds of things, whether it's a quickly, whether it's a Rose. One of those guys, not named Alfred Payton, is really what it comes down to. So it, it's been time, man. It's been There is no refrain. There is no, oh, but who's closing the game? That shit does not matter at all. Bros, like that should do. These are these are talking points that never really had as much credence as people thought that they do, but they especially don't now. Not in the playoffs. No, and it's very easily fixed. Like last night, for example, you have Derrick Rose who played 39 minutes. It quickly played 15 minutes. Just give quickly those extra five minutes, and then you still have Peyton, Peyton's five minutes to work with. You could give that to Frank Knox. I really don't give a shit. Just whoever is filling in for Rose in that second unit. And then you can bump Mo, Obi's minutes. Would, Taj played 30 minutes last night, and Taj was fantastic last night. I know his, his stat line wasn't crazy, but plus 23. He only had six points, but seven boards, three steals, and a block. So Taj has to stay in the rotation, but bump Obi's minutes up. And, yeah, I think that clears everything. Alfred Payne doesn't need to play. And I think I'm more surprised at the rotation not tightening up because I thought Thibodeau would actually be – eight-man guys he's stuck with 10 10 guys through the first two games so that's a little surprising in itself but maybe we're just getting closer i think the second half was closer to what we should see the rest of the way it's about right though i mean i felt i felt like that they, they kind of got it right in the second half in a sense i don't see like even the frank stuff everybody clamored for because the defense the trick I felt they played good enough defense in that second half with Rose on the court most of the time, right? Mike, there's this, like, uh, like I get it, and I still think that Frank should probably play in, in some spurts. I think that that is still useful. It's especially with the Alfred minutes, hopefully suddenly available. But um, Rose plays good defense. I feel like I got to say it every podcast because nobody wants to listen to it or believe what I'm saying, uh, that the 32-year-old Derrick Rose, the embattled point guard, you know, everybody has made him washed at several different points of his career. Uh, he, he's just a, he's crafted his game into a better basketball player. He plays good defense now. I don't know, I don't know how else to explain it to you guys. He, he gets his hands on the basketball a lot, whether it's tips or blocks or steals in the passing lanes. Like he's, he's very active. He's a big hustle guy now too. Like this is not, this is not whoever that player was that you thought he was even a, a season ago. Like this is a guy who's very engaged right now. So you don't lose shit. Like I, and I still, I get, I'm not even like trying to like poo on the, the Frank argument, the Frank starting minutes argument, because again, in that scenario, it would be fine if he's opening the same Alfred minutes. That's a strategy we've seen somewhat work. If, if, if it's a better matchup, sure, whatever, I'm down to try it. But really at this point, it's just, you start Derek Rose. And, and I think for, for multiple reasons that I've, I've, be labored on this pod, but also he's a two-way kind of guy right now. He plays defense. They contain Trey in the second half to some degree as much as you can anyway. You don't really lose much by putting him out there. Like, you don't – everything doesn't need to be an offense-defense, you know, to the extreme kind of mix-and-match type thing. Some Sometimes you get a guy who's good enough on both sides. Yeah, and I, I think it's very doable as well. I think you could easily have a rotation where, you know, you start Derrick Rose, he plays like the first six to seven minutes – 
Uh, you still bring Alec Burks in for Reggie at about six minutes. You let IQ come in for RJ. And then you kind of just like shift that. And when the second quarter starts, you uh, or when you take out Derrick Rose, you can let RJ run. With, I, I would like to see the ball in RJ's hands a little more anyway. So I feel like you can run RJ with that second unit lineup if you want to run Derrick Rose more with the starters, or you can just decide who you're going to stagger with who. But we, like we said, we have enough guards to do it. If Emmanuel quickly play 15 minutes, we have enough minutes to start Derrick Rose because, uh, you know, so, um, I, and I, I really love the way we were able to do that. Um, in the first quarter, like, when we start, they're going to – they keep putting Trey on Reggie. So, I feel like in those scenarios, we should just put Reggie in all the actions. Like, I feel like everything should be like an off-ball screen with Reggie. And that, that's what I really liked because down the stretch and the way you said he was hitting shots, he hadn't really – like, I hadn't seen Reggie a whole lot of times, like, you know, pump fake and, you know, step back off of a closeout and pull up. Like, that was – I was like, oh, he just like – he's hitting sidestep threes. Like, I don't ever see him do this. <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. So, you know, if he's able to get more – because Trey Trey – was making bad closeouts because Trey's a bad defender. So if we have him involved in all the actions, we make him make decisions like that. Like, I just want to see what Nate McMillan's response is to that. I think that you have to make a coach respond. You have to see, okay, like, this Trey Young is the obvious thing here. Let's attack that. What is his plan after that? How are they even going to rotate? How do they plan on switching these things? If we don't force them to do that, uh, we won't be able to take advantage of what we should. But, yeah, like, the, the rotation should be pretty simple. Start Derrick Rose and – Attack Trey Young all game. And the reason you don't start Frank is pretty simple. The problem isn't the defense through the first two games. The problem is the excruciatingly slow starts that the offense has. And I'm sure you guys have noticed this as well. They've taken away Randall's ability to drive mostly, where they're just completely sagging off Nerlens and having Capella shadow to whatever side Julius is in. So that's already eliminating one piece. Then you have Alfred who they don't have to pay attention to as long as he's not driving. And even if he is driving, they probably like their chances. So you put two offensive voids there. Now you have Reggie, RJ, and Randall against five defenders. It's just not working. Rose at least forces you to react to something. And honestly, he's going to give you a bucket. But this is why we wanted to start quickly instead of Frank. And this is why Burke's over Frank. But Right now, I think Rose is the guy who understands how to score as well as where everyone is on the court. I still think out of all the guards, Rose understands everyone's spots best versus I don't even know what Alfred does anymore. Before, he was at least finding Randall last season. Rose actually finds guys in their sweet spots, so I think it's a real no-brainer at this point, but I guess we'll have to see. But if he, if he, if he, if Al's back, it's rough, rough. Two other quick notes uh, from the game last night. I'd like to to call attention to uh, Julius Randle and his second half uh, dominance that was not even really offensive um, is the best way to put it. Uh, he was, I think, yesterday in one-on-one matchups. The Hawks shot 0 for 15 against him. The, they did not score a single point. Uh, I like to bring this up because um, – I, I, not a criticism, but like when, when people talk about Julius's game this season too, and if you don't watch the Knicks often, like this would be the one thing that you probably miss. You could probably pick up the other stuff in the stats, his offense, how impactful he's been there and everything, the shooting we know about, the playmaking we know about. But he's been a, a very you know plus-plus defender all year. He's been really, really good, really tough. We've seen him throw Sabonis and you know countless others and Rikers over the course of the season. Um, but last night he was really like, aggressively defensive in a, in a way that you could see he was so frustrated 
by not getting Dolphins to go that he just started doing other stuff in a way that we've seen him do before because he's been really good all around this year. But like the urgency in the game last night, like you could feel like when he was trying to go rebound yesterday, it was like a man possessed. Like he was, there was the one big rebound yesterday. He like mellowed it. Like it was one arm. He went up, he snatched it like this with one arm. And it was very, it was like mellow-esque, like fuck out of here. I got it. You know, it was like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I promise I'm not making a comparison to Kobe in the finals. It is not a comparison to Kobe in the finals. It is simply Kobe in that game seven, when they beat the Celtics, he, he could not shoot for anything. Like it, I think what would you shoot? Six of 24 is, is the famous, whatever, right? We always make fun of it, but then he got, everybody forgets when he couldn't shoot, he would just grab mad rebounds. Like Kobe just started rebounding like a madman in that game. And it was really important in that game with the Celtics. You needed to rebound and be physical and tough. So it reminded me like, not that it's not a comparison. That's obviously higher stakes, you know, whatever, better game, but it just get like a shade of that where it's just like, man, like that, that's what a good leader does, man. Like he, he can't get his offense, whether it's the shooting, he couldn't get it to drop and it was the playmaking. He couldn't get it to go, you know, they, they're stifling him. They're, they're cutting his spots off, whatever, cutting his vision off in ways that he hasn't seen this season. Uh, they're cutting him off at the baseline. You know, he loves to eat on the baseline, whether it's, you know, he's going to, he's going to feast there and score, or he's waits for the double and he kicks out. There is a certain routine that he had built up there that he's been pressing with because they cut him off at the baseline. They pack the paint, wall him off when he's going to come in from the point of attack. So it was good to see him like, man, I'm just going to get a bunch of rebounds and just get real physical on him. I'm just going to play even better defense. I'm just going to stifle like refs are calling everything, you know, like no big deal. I'm just going to play even better. Like whatever that means, just better defense. And there was a moment before the second, well, before he came back in his last stint, when he was just like standing near center court and you saw him just like, kind of like looking down at the ground and kind of like bobbing his head a little bit. And I was like, he's psyching himself up, obviously. And then they closed the game out. He gets a couple big buckets, the dish to Taj. I just thought that was like the true mark of like the leader Julius showing up that we've, we've seen. And, and, you know, he's done it a lot this regular season, but to see it in the playoffs when fans were killing him, you know, rightfully he's got to, he's the leader. He's, He's the number one option. He's he's got to step up and find a way to do it. And it just made people so happy because everybody was able to recognize the effort immediately. Like, man, like he's playing tough. And then you see a couple of those shots go in, and then you're like, well, that's it. He's gonna be, he's gonna be himself now. So I, I thought Randall really did an incredible job, you know, finding ways to to really be felt the same way uh, a 30-point game would have been felt. Like he really made sure his presence was felt out there. And also, shouts to Reggie. Cause he got stuck on Trey sometimes and he was doing a pretty good job too. There was a lot of like Reggie, like Rose, Rose, obviously the big story and, and rightfully, and it was, it was a lot of fun and he, he definitely saved them, kept them in it until everyone else was, you know, woke up. But the key is Reggie and Randall, man. Like those guys got to do anything. If they do anything, like we're going to be in good shape and, and see, it's just encouraging too. You know, you needed to close out on Trey to finish that game. Reggie's on him down, you know, it's good. It's good when mo it's not just, oh, we need Frank on him. It's, that's what I'm saying. It, you could put Rose on him a little bit. It works. You can slow him down. You could put Reggie on him. It works. It slows him down. Like, this is a, a top-rated defense. There should be multiple bodies that are capable of guarding him. To some degree, still Trey, he's going to eat. But you, you're going to have to do something like they did in this last game. I was just really encouraged all around by uh, a, a resilient, tough Knicks effort in that second, second half. Yeah, it was beautiful. Like seeing Julius, uh, seeing the stat where he had held him to over 15 when he was on, like when he was the primary defender, 
that's phenomenal. Like, that's excellent. And one thing that really jumped out to me, and it's something he's done well all year, and we've called it out all year. But at one point, he got switched on to Trey. And it was one-on-one. It was just him and Trey. And he locked him up. Like, he locked him up, and he uh, forced a bad shot. And it was just like, wow. Like, he moved with him step for step. He guarded Trey about as well as you could guard him. And it was just like, yeah, like, he's really locking in and making it happen defensively. Like, he's really engaged. And I think that intensity and effort probably led to the offense coming in, too, because it's just like the the energy was felt through the whole team. When there's loose balls flying around, they're all jumping and flying. And we we didn't get beat to the ball a lot last night. Like, we didn't get beat to the ball very much at all in the second half. We were we got to every loose ball. Even when the loose ball got tipped away, we got to the tip away. Like, we got we got all the – I I like to see the stat for, like, how many loose balls were recovered in the second half. We were everywhere. It was beautiful. And then he had to kick out to Reggie. Um, and the, the spin and the dump down to Taj for the dunk, it was just, like, insane. Like, it was right back to, you know, the way that Randall runs the offense. And it was good to see that. Because I think that even though he struggled, you know, he struggled in game one, he struggled for the majority of game two. But I think down the stretch in the second half, he got back into his groove and he saw how he could attack this defense and, you know, got back in the uh, feel of it. So I think he's going to come out in game three. And I mean, if he comes out in game three and we get the Julius who've been getting against uh, Atlanta all year, I don't know what they're, we haven't gotten a good game out of Julius yet. And like, it should be too old for us, to be honest. Those are all great points. And, it's kind of just what this team's done all year. They've ga- gathered their energy from the defensive end, and it's translated to offense. They just happened to be on such a hot streak towards the end of the season. Maybe even they forgot it, but it was good to see them get to that in the second half, and Julius was a big part of that. And that just also plays into this whole disposition as a leader, period, where other guys have checked out before in those spots where their shot's not falling. He could have easily blamed the refs or just checked out completely. He stood in. Double-digit rebounds again. I believe he had double digits in the first game, too. Four dimes, and his last time to Taj pretty much sealed the game. So just another reason why Randall is so good and so valuable and why he should be here for the long run. Also, last note on Reggie. Him throwing DeAndre Hunter on the floor was the best thing that could have happened last night. I... I saw that and everyone got upset at first because I'm like, ah, like Sean, you like you tweeted at first. You're like, ah, he should have just played defense. And you were hundred percent right. He should, he should have just played defense. However, after he threw him, there was like 55% of me, like 45% of me knew you were right. 55% of me was like, fuck that. We need to put somebody on the floor. Like, like no, no rationale. It's not basketball. You know that, you know what I'm saying? It's not basketball, but I just feel like, Sometimes you just got to do that shit, man. Sometimes you just got to throw somebody. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it without me trying to sound like goonish. Uh, I, get I get it. I get it. I get it. Sometimes you just got to toss somebody. You got to throw some bodies around, man. You got to like, check it, the temperature. Yeah. And it wasn't even like Hunter was, was comfortable. He was, he was bricking yesterday. We were daring him to beat us and he couldn't do it. And that, first of all, that's what you want to do. That, that was a good adjustment, you know, for the, all the, all the tips doesn't adjust well stuff we say on this podcast, big check mark. Uh, you, you left DeAndre open, uh, DeAndre Hunter open by design. He's a good shooter. He just couldn't make the shots. I, I'm fine with that. It wasn't Trey. It is what it is. But yeah, sometimes you gotta throw them on the floor. And you know what? We, we lost the possession. It is what it is. They got the free throws. But hey, I mean, you you should be worried. I mean, you expect maybe a Randall or a bigger player to throw you on the ground. Reggie Bull comes out of nowhere, throws you on the ground on a break. What are you gonna do? Good luck, buddy. 
energy has been restored. Like that's how I felt. I didn't expect Reggie to do it. He's actually a nice guy. He's one of the nicest guys in the NBA. Everybody that's like a, a frequently brought up point with Reggie Bullock. He's actually like a genuinely, everybody loves that guy. Just a genuinely nice guy on and off the court. Everybody loves him. And he comes out of, he comes out of nowhere and he blitzes you and throws you on the floor in a break. That's yeah. Like, that's exactly what you want. Like sometimes you just got to see it. I love that. I loved it. It's this. I know this is a cross sport reference, but it felt very Ivory Christian like from my Friday night lights fans where it's like the quietest guy on the team, just check the temperature. And then everybody's like, all right, let's get this shit going. And it was beautiful. Yeah. You gotta be surprised when Reggie does it. Yeah. That, that really, honestly. And that's kind of what I was thinking when he did it. Cause it, that would be the only rationale. Cause it's like my, the reason I was upset is cause he, he had a step on him. It's not like he was out of position or anything. Like he was in good defensive position and Deandre Hunter is not like Kawhi Leonard or anything. It's like, bro, you can stop him. Like, and he just threw him to the ground. And I was like, I mean, okay. Like, but I, I get it. And it definitely, you know, it sets the energy. I just, you know, for the future reference, Reggie, if you're listening, if you're going to put anybody on their ass in this series, anybody that's going to put anybody in their ass, make it Trey young. If we're going to get a flagrant, and not a harmful flagrant, but if you're going to put somebody on their ass and send a message, make it Trey Young. I'm tired of watching him flop around and flop around and all. Make it Trey Young. Well, Taj actually put Trey Young on his ass, just not as noticeable with the nice pick last night. So I think Taj is also joining in on the enforcer role. I just want to say a shout out Taj real quick because when he got re signed, first of all, last year, I was so angry with Taj. It wasn't even Taj that I was angry with. I stipulated that on the pot. I was just so mad that somebody was blocking Mitchell Robinson from starting. It was so obvious last season. It wasn't Taj's fault. He just got put in in the starting role, and I was just very fed up with it. When he came back this year, I it was sort of like the Rose thing. I was just like, mm, I don't think it's going to do a whole lot. And with with the Rose thing and with, with Taj, I was just immensely like hilariously wrong because Taj has been so important. I mean, again, and it took Mitch being hurt twice for Taj to have to step in and, and be as impactful as he has been. But for somebody that was sitting on his couch prior to this, to just come in and be like, yeah, I'm ready to hoop and just shows up, does his job every day. Obviously the, the, the post-game presser, his comments uh, about why it's so special to be back with, you know, Rose and Tibbs and doing this again. And, and basically, like, the way that he, he makes it sound is, like, they just all love basketball, man. Like, they all just, like, hang out afterwards. They, they talk forever. Strategy, like, they, they just live and breathe it. Like, it's not work for them. Like, Taj just likes going to work to work with Derrick Rose and Tom Thibodeau. Like, that's the best way to describe, like, what he was trying to say in that presser. He's like, I played with these guys, like, my whole career, basically. Like, when I'm with Tibbs, we talk about this, this. And there, there's a comfort. And, like, even if they didn't win anything in those Chicago years, like they still had a really good unit. They had a really good foundation. They had a really good identity. Like that was good winning basketball. They're playing. If they, they can teach anything to these young, like this is still a pretty young group that they're with, even though they're playing bigger roles in this team. So uh, just shout out Taj, man. Like I, I didn't think he was going to have a, as big an impact as he did. And he's been, I mean, just tremendous for what they've signed him to be, you know? So I just, I, I was questioning closing him, him closing last night's game a little bit. And I, I don't know why I do this with Taj anymore. He's he's really just earned my trust. Uh, I think like it's just good, smart basketball. You know what I mean? Like you can just trust like Taj to make the right play is the, is the best way. Like he, he he gets the ball, he gets a rebound. He's not trying to mess around with it. He's going right back up or that automatic like under under the basket little thing that he does. Just a good basketball player, man. Good good leader, good veteran. I'm happy he's back. Yeah, and having said that, I do hope maybe even next year, but hopefully a little in this playoffs, 
that we start to see Thibodeau trust Obi a little more and play him with Randall more because Taj is around the same size as at least Randall, right? I mean, they're both 6'9", so his, I hope Taj's effectiveness also lets Thibodeau experiment a little more because that's probably my only ask moving forward. But I think, like you said, Taj has just been immensely valuable. Just It's ridiculous. Mike, I'm right there with you. Um, outside of number six, no longer being a thorn in my eyes while I watch basketball, my main ask is some OB Randall minutes, please. I mean, this, like, because you're not going to cut Randall's minutes. That's not going to happen. This is the playoffs. You do, that's not what we want. He's an MVP candidate. But at the same time, like, OB has to be on the floor. He's just playing so well for us right now. He's bringing great energy. Um, and I also feel like it could, the way that they're, you know, the way that they're playing Noel, where they just shadow off of him and, you know, force everything. The other, they can't do that with Obi. You, you know, you either, either they're going to have to put Capella on Randall and he's going to have to come outside and, and fight and, you know, come outside and dance. Or, like, they're going to have to put him on Obi. Obi can stretch the floor. Like, he's also a lob threat, you know. Like, I think it could open the floor up a lot offensively. And he's shown that he can play well enough defensively. It's not like Capella's a – it's not like this is a Philly series and you're asking Obi to go out there and guard and bead. Like, the the Hawks are not going to dump it down to Capella on the block. So, we could take advantage of that and they could really open our offense up. And I just feel like he's he's earning it, man. Like, he – He's earning it. Like when he's out there at, at a point in the first half, we got more out of Obi than we did from Randall. Like Obi's Obi's minutes were f- phenomenal. Like he just, he's everywhere. He's getting out in transition. He's, I, I feel like we're a better team when he's on the floor. So I would really love to see Obi and Randall. I think it can help both of them and help the team as a whole offensively. And I don't think we would lose a whole lot defensively. And he's on the boards pretty well. We're boxing, he's boxing out. Like, yeah, man, let's see him out there with Randall a little bit. Yeah, even before that lob, he defended, I think, two or three people and then got the block on Horder before he kick-started that fast break. And I really think that was a whole evolution of where he was in the beginning of the season. The beginning of the season, he was kind of just meandering. He would occasionally run for the lob. He was always – energy was never the problem with him. It was more people finding him. But even when people don't find him, is someone didn't find him on another possession or he's sprinting up the side for a new But he's locked in on both ends of the floor, and he knows what he's doing. My biggest worry on defense was him doing what Knox did when he was a rookie, where he would just kind of be like a deer in the headlights, just standing there and getting beat back door. Obi's constantly moving, whether he gets beat because the other guy's more athletic. I mean, that it is what it is. He can't do anything about that. But at least he's in the right spots now. Maybe Taj or the coaching staff is just working with him and kind of brought him along to this point. But I think he's at least due for a 15-minute per game increase because right now he's around 10 12 still i think it's time to at least graduate him to 15 i would go a little more bullish with 20 but that's just me yeah uh i i just like how he's evolved over the course of the season because they've done him no i bring this point up like not as a a slanderous got to bring up a bad point about the Knicks thing but like they really have done him no favors with how they've used him on offense like you you draft a pick and roll player who can kind of shoot kind of play make out of the short roll and you do like almost none of that stuff is sort of confounding but on the other side of the coin for certain players it challenges them to then have to go, okay, well, if they're not going to use me how I, I like to be used, how I should be used, then I got to find a way to stay on the floor. I got to find a way. If he's not going to do – if I can't get a single pick and roll, if I can't get something that's going to make me comfortable on offense, I just got to be ready when it is my time on offense and until then stay busy. And it seems like, you know, like Mike, you said, when he gets beat, 
he's very active because if you know he's always attacking the glass now even if even if he's late i don't mind i like that he's a rookie like he's gonna be fucking up still like that's just to be expected he's gonna be late he's gonna get guys who blow by him as long as you're like trying and i see that effort like when somebody blows by him he's still trying you see he hasn't given up on the play he comes he tries to contest from behind if he's late he tries to get the rebound we've seen him miss a shot on his own get his own rebound like he's still he's trying at this point is the best way i could word it and you know, it's it's sort of like, and I brought this point up before. I don't know if I brought up on the powder, you know, in Slack, because I don't know if I was going to get fucking killed or not. But I, I said he's got to do like that Kuz uh, trajectory where he's like, he sort of comes off the bench and you're like, all right, yeah. I mean, we sort of knows, you know, what Kuz can do, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that, that's a score. You know, Kuz can't do much else. If you watch Kuzman out, like he rebounds a lot. He runs the floor really well. He cuts really well. He actually plays pretty good defense. And it's like, yeah, the same kind of thing. Like, if, you, if you're not going to be able to do your bread and butter, whatever it is that you were comfortable at, then you got to go figure out how to do all the other shit now because this is the NBA and find a way to stay on the floor. And now it's like, I didn't anticipate Kuzma being some sort of third or fourth option, you know, a guy who has to slash and cut and do all... Like, I never... I thought he was going to shoot threes. I thought he was going to cook a little bit on the block. I thought, he, you know, I thought I kind of had him figured out. He was sort of a score. And now with LeBron and Anthony Davis, he can't do that. So we had to change his game. We don't have those kinds of talents. But my point is, if if the scheme or strategy isn't set up for you and you're finding ways to be impactful, then like, yeah, you've earned more time. Like, we've done you no favors. We have not made the game easy for you. We have not given you lineups with, lot, with a lot of spacing for you to run a pick and roll, for you to get those lob opportunities. Like, And it wasn't like we weren't running them. Mitchell Robinson got a lot of lobs to start the season. So it was a part of the offense. We just didn't run it for him. And even then, he finds ways still. He didn't give up on a shot. He finds ways to go out there, hit those threes confidently, too. He takes those threes very confident now. He rebounds well. He plays good defense. I don't know why he can't. He's got to play more minutes. And, and, and to the Randall thing, yeah, you don't want Randall playing less minutes per se, but on a night like last night where those minutes are, are going really well for Obi, you leave him in an extra minute or two. Who the fuck cares? He's got the hot hand. If he, you could, you were still going to pull him. You were still like it was still about to be his time to end. So whether that's a minute after or two, then it doesn't really change much. So you know maybe Randall does need that extra minute or two to breathe right now. It's not about cutting minutes. It's just about riding the high hand if somebody's playing well. So he's earned the time. You know he's he's definitely there's a lot of a lot of laughs, a lot of question marks about if we took the wrong guy. But whatever that conversation is, Quickly's good. Obi looks pretty good now, and that that's it. That's just who we got. That's that's all that uh, I'm concerned about at this point. Yeah, and they still have two good picks coming up in this draft. I mean, I kind of had a feeling we were going to win game two. Now I'm looking back in hindsight because Wednesday um, – not Wednesday, Tuesday was such a good luck game, uh, day for the Knicks. Randall won most improved player, and the Knicks got the 19th, I think, 26th overall pick. So now you can get someone like a Sharif Cooper who's a lob – like the point guard that you kind of wanted instead of Obi. So I think everything's fine. And Obi's disposition, same thing with Randall – they have that mentality where you kind of want those type of guys in the locker room, period. So second that completely. Yeah, we actually got 19th, 21st, and we have 32. So pretty nice. Um, yeah, and just to have to have two rookies who are ready to step up and be, you know, key parts of a fourth quarter, you know, both in the fourth quarter and the garden, like in the playoffs, that's that that's pretty successful in my eyes. Um, and yeah, we didn't use him to the best of the ability we could have. Uh, but I love, like you said, Kyle, I love the way that he stuck with his jumper. Um, at times his jumper was really shaky. His feet were moving while he was getting ready to shoot. 
now he catches it. And honestly, when Obi puts it up, I'm I've reached that point where and it's like we talked about with the percentages earlier. I'm not really sure what Obi's percentage is lately, but when it's kicked out to him, I kind of believe it's going in. Like if he gets a good look, I'm like, hey, I like that. I'm excited when when the ball gets kicked out to Obi. It's going up. It's a rainbow. It's up there for a long time, but I'm usually pretty satisfied with the result when it comes down. So um, I really like that, and I hope that we continue to feed that. Um, and I, I must, like, to, shout out to the coaching staff. Even though I didn't use them the best way they could have, they never gave up on them. They Like, people were calling them a bust. People could set up. Even me, like, I never called him a bust or anything. I never was too down on him, but I was like, okay, right now he's struggling. Maybe they can give those minutes to somebody else. Maybe it would help him to, like, you know, not to go out there and struggle every night. It might be a little bit of a disservice right now. But they stuck with it. They kept him in that same role. And he's grown and blossomed in the role. And now I believe it's time to expand that role. So I, I was screaming all season for us to try Obi Randall. Um, we didn't try it in the regular season, which makes it less likely that we'll see it in the playoffs. But I think that we should have tried it in the regular season so we would know how it looks for now. But I, I think it's time, man, especially with no Mitch, um, which is weird because he tweeted eye emojis yesterday. And so annoying. That was so annoying. <laughs> like I, I, I knew it didn't mean he was coming back yesterday, but like, I feel like him tweeting eye emojis has to mean he's like coming back soon. I don't see why he would just do that to do it. Like, okay. Okay. So two things here. First of all, uh, he was always coming back soon because the injury report had him listed out until at least May 28th. So like that was always, it's May 27th. This was always about the time of year that he was going to maybe possibly be returning. That was always the timeline. Second of all, um, we've all been following Mitchell Robinson for quite some time. Mitchell Robinson tweets shit like that once, twice a season. He does shit like that. So this, this has been going on back when he had his agent issues and he was switching deals and he wanted to start or get more minutes. Like this has been going on. He's always done some shit. It means nothing. It means, no it means nothing that we didn't already know. Like we already knew that he was going to be coming back. Like this is already... Like we, we've been doing this for like three, four weeks that he was going to, Oh, is, is he coming back soon? Maybe he's going to be ready by the Hawks. Thereabouts, maybe, maybe mid series, maybe like this is the conversation. So we're not learning anything new. Him tweeting eye emojis is just sort of this is just common sense. If we've used our brains and been following anybody really, I, I just don't know. I was so confused at the conversation. I'm like, all right, so what, it's May 26th. Everybody's buzzing about an early return for a guy who was going to be out at least until May 28th. But the injury report shows him still out, which means he wouldn't be back until at the earliest May 28th, which is exactly what the report stated. So there's no news. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I get so it. There's nothing. To get, there, there's no news. If, if Mitchell Robinson comes back on the 28th, guess what? It's not news that anybody broke. That's the fucking timeline that we were on. It's that simple. I, I just don't know why we always got to reach for shit that isn't there. Like try to create like news that's already been reported. Yeah, that is weird, but I won't say because it's not news. That doesn't mean it's not exciting, though. Like if Mitchell Robinson comes back oh, yeah. on May 28th, I don't care if that's what the report said. I'm going to cry. Oh, so. yeah. that would, Listen, it would be, <laughs> listen, if Mitch comes back, it would be great. I just don't know why there was like there was this buzz about shit. Like it was like 3.30 when, the, when everyone tried to do this shit. And like the report had already been out by 1.30. I already saw the report. And everybody's talking about like, oh, he might be coming back. I was like, do you guys not like follow anybody that has like the real information? I don't get why, why we're getting all these replies to the Knicks. Well, oh, Mitch is going to play. Mitch is going to play. No, he's not going to play. If you follow anybody who knows what they're talking about. I, I have no idea how we got to that, that point that quickly that it built up that everyone's like, ah, oh, he's coming back. Like, just, just use your brains. I, I don't know what else. I mean, we all have brains. 
Just, muscle, just use muscle, them. Muscle. Use use your eyeballs to read things that have come out in past weeks. I mean, there's there's real reporting and articles on this stuff. It's very very confusing to me why why we do. I like I, I get I get wanting to be excited, but we don't got to make shit up. No, but on a related unrelated point, I just hope all the cowards who said we should let Mitch go because Nerlens was on a hot streak. I hope you guys realize how valuable Mitch is just from these first two games. Because with him, I think this is not even a series. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really don't think it's a series. So anyone who was saying, let him go, we don't need him, just sign Noel. I hope you watch these games and humbled yourself because you are an idiot. Hey, the ones that were, were kind of cocky about it, I, I dislike. Because I think there's merit if you're like, if you want to try to move off Mitch, sell off Mitch because you think Noel is capable because he, he's proven he can be right to try to, to do something else like that, that I can kind of wrap my head around, but just being like, mm, you could let Mitch walk. No, that that's, that's what it that, mostly that, was. that to me, that to me was kind of silly. Cause I was like, first of all, I love Noel. If we get either of Noel or Mitch to be our starting center after this year, like I, I'm just saying now ahead of time, I would be really, really happy because I think both have played at a level that it would be impossible to be anything but that. But the thing that always gets overlooked with Mitch, because everybody acts like you got to have a jumper to like have any offensive impact. Noel's offensive impact is like putback points or that like three or four put uh, four put side jumper that he does right off the baseline. Like that's that's his offense. I'm not that's not being mean. That's just what he does with the basketball in his hands on offense. Mitch actually does that stuff two to a degree, but like not really the jumper, but like, you know, the putbacks and shit like that better, but obviously you can work in the pick and roll, the lob threat. RJ used to hit him a lot to begin the year. So it's like, you're missing that layer of an offense where you have like, we know what Randall brings with his attacks, right. And working with Reggie, then we know that secondary action where RJ kind of likes to get the ball in the wing and he likes to attack from kind of a funky angle to get his lane and kind of work in. And then with that, it was even more dangerous because like, at any point, Big Mitchell Robinson is going to be jumping 14 feet in the air to catch a lob. So that's something that Noel can't really do. So, like, that's that's like not nothing either. That's like 10 easy points they were getting the game just because Mitch can jump higher. So and for me, it, oh, go ahead. yeah, for me it's the rebound. For me, it's the rebounding though. Like, I think Noel, I love him. Don't get me don't I don't want to this to come off as slander, but I think Mitch brings everything Noel does, and that's why I think Noel is the perfect backup to have him. But that rebounding, man, especially on the offensive glass, I think that's where we've missed Mitch all season, and I think we really miss him. It's not going to show up this round as much, but, like, if we get Philly, mostly Philly, if we get Philly, you'll really notice where Mitch is needed. And I don't know, do you guys even want to see him back this year? Because I really think he's going to be really rusty if he does try and come back early. No, nah, I, I need Mitchell Robinson back. I don't like, I need <laughs> Mitchell Robinson back. Right, like not on. only cause we need him back offensively for the lob threat. He's a great rebounder. He's one of the, he was like at the top of the league in offensive rebounding. And he was getting like, you know, not, not just the putbacks, but he's grabbing it and throwing it down or creating extra opportunities. And this whole Trey young, Clint Capella pick and roll would not be a thing with Mitchell Robinson. It just wouldn't. I mean, like it would still be somewhat of even a lot. I feel like 60% of those floaters wouldn't be a thing. Sometimes he's barely getting them over people's fingertips. If Mitchell Robinson is out there, he is playing volleyball with that. 
even from the weak side if necessary. So it's just like he would change this series a whole lot. And then if we move on, yeah, I don't want like Joel Embiid, I feel like would kind of throw Nerlens Noel around. I don't think he's going to necessarily, I mean, not that Mitch is uh, like, you know, going to shut him down completely, but he, he he's done a pretty good job on Embiid multiple times. So I, I, I'd love to, that's another really big body to throw out there, you know, and you can't shade away. Like they wouldn't be able to shade Capella toward Randall and everything like that with Mitch on the floor. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'm going to say about the, the Embiid point is like, just, I just don't really have faith in like Mitch or, uh, Noel just being successful against Embiid because they just don't really generally have lots of success against, you know, massive behemoth centers is sort of been their weakness. Like they're, they're good against like 98% of every other kind of big in the NBA. And then it's like the old fashioned, I'm just bigger than you centers, just give them some problems. So I, I, I don't know about that. Like I, I know Mitch has had, he's been better with Embiid, you know, but it's like, I still just don't love that for seven games. I, I just don't think that that's something that we win. But either way, like, especially the point about the floaters is true because I feel like we forget, like, Mitch and Noel, although they're both, like, top five shot blockers in the NBA, like, in their own right, which is wild that we have, like, two guys who could do that on the same roster, they block shots differently. Like, we brought this up, like, how they block them at, at the rim, but even, like, generally how they play defense, Noel is more, like, flat-footed. He just kind of beats you to the spot last second, plays good vertical defense. That's it. Doesn't get a lot off the ground. Mitch always plays on his toes. And that's why he's always able to block those jump shots. Like we saw, remember last year, he led, he led the league, I think. And those three pointers blocked just, just him. He had more than like several teams, just him. So that's not exclusive to three pointers. That's something that you're right, Sean, like in the paint, like that's an easy step for Mitch. We've seen Mitch, Mitch is really good at feeling out space inside the arc. And he's really good at knowing how big his frame is to keep guys at a certain length in front of him or kind of like baiting them in and then swatting it when they think they have an opportunity. So we, we are missing Mitch. I mean, there's a lot of times I, I can go back and find it. I'm sure you guys know off the top of your head, how many times have like somebody thought they had a lob and Mitch kind of played it in a, you know what I mean? Like that funny way that he does where he, he does, it's sort of delayed. Like he acts like he's not going to block the first dude and he waits for like the lob, like waits for him to commit to the lob. And as soon as he does, he like jumps backwards and he knows he's taller, longer, whatever, jumps out and he like just tips it, deflects it, gets it out of bounds, just messes with it enough. He's a very, very smart defender, you know, just because he plays good defense to begin with, but also he really knows his body well and his abilities well. So th they are definitely missing him dearly. And he, as soon as he can come back would be much needed help because if you get Noel off the bench, that's like in the playoffs, that's like disgusting. I feel like, I feel like we're loaded. It's such a weird position to feel like loaded at, but I feel like when you have two guys like that, that's that, that's pretty good in the playoffs, man. Well, if it does happen, I hope uh, someone passes the tape along to Kawhi Leonard because looks like it's going to be an early season for him as well. So give him something to look at as he sits at home in LA and ponders why pandemic P is pandemic P and why the Clippers can't get past the first round. Um, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen or anything, but I just want to say that if it does happen, I was the first person that said it, even though I said it quietly. The Clippers are about to lose in the first round, and I I don't know. He has an option. I feel like he leaves. Shout like out Timmy. He wants to stay and lose. Yeah, shout out Timmy, man. Shout out to Listen, I rooted against the Mavericks all year, and now I'm rooting for them. So <laughs> look at the universe. It has me rooting for the Mavericks. That's insane. 
But yes, yeah, send the Clippers home because I just don't know how you get a second round exit and then come back and lose in the first round to the team you barely squeaked the first round by the year before and then sign to stay there with a team that has no draft picks and is locked into the roster they already have. So I just assume that if they lose in the first round, he leaves. And then I take off my Nick, I take off my RJ jersey. I take all the Nick stuff off my wall in my mind. And I think, what is the best place for Kawhi Leonard to go? Realistically, somewhere that has cap space, a good team. And I just don't see another better situation, especially considering we got a meeting with Uncle Dennis the first time. But hey, you know, we won't get into all that. We got a lot of basketball to be played right now. But oof. Right. I just wanted to throw it out there. We'll talk more about it in the offseason and pending first round uh, uh, results. But I don't know. I just, just spin my head lately. Thank you. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, and and uh, last, last note from last night's game, um, because first of all, I agree. I would like to see Kawhi Leonard in the Knicks uniform. Uh, I think that's a – I hope they get cooked. Uh, they've been getting cooked. I, I hope they keep getting cooked. They, I think the best part about it is, like, KP's, KP does, like, nothing now. He just takes – he's just a roster spot, and it's just, like, Luka and then, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. just, like, on fire for 48 minutes. Like, that's the Mavericks offense. Like, th- those two just, like, bombing threes, and they're just roasting the Clippers. The Clippers have the two best perimeter defenders, allegedly, I was told, the two best perimeter defenders in the league. They soft switch everything for God knows what reason. Why would you commit to the two best team and individual defenders in the NBA and then soft switch as your scheme? I do not understand. At the at the hint of a, of a, of a screen coming, Paul George disappears. How, how, how do you earn the billing as a top perimeter defender? And then you always, always Luca ends up with Pat Beverly, uh, Zubac. Like it's, it's embarrassing that they're even allowing this to happen just schematically, like, and take some pride. If you're Kawhi, Paul George, I we're rooting for Kawhi to come here, but like, take some fucking pride, bro. Play some defense. You want to see your team getting roasted and Pat Bev and Zubac are there. And you're going to be like, Oh, I don't know. These, this team couldn't win. Why don't you go out there and stop letting them switch? Just go play defense. Jeez, like, isn't that your thing? The the claw. Paul George, I, I hear about all these two-way superstar. It was it's always Jimmy Butler and Paul George is always the debate. But then Paul George is nowhere to be found when that shit matters. You want to know why? Because he's soft switching so that Pat Bev can die out there with Luca on the perimeter. Like Pat Bev is getting, he always gets roasted, right? Rightfully to some degree. But this is embarrassing. If you're the Clippers, take some pride. Luca's running around. Scoring up Pat Bevan going, he's too little every trip down. That's your teammate. That's your teammate. You're letting him get switched and fried every time and then getting gloated on. He's too little. And the Clippers are just like, I guess that's okay. We'll just keep letting that happen. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Would never happen in a New York Knicks defense is my point. So Kawhi Leonard, come over here. We got spots. We got money. We got draft picks. Everything the Clippers don't. We're winning. At, at least a better pace at this moment in time. It's a factual statement. We have one win in the playoffs. You have zero from, from where I'm sitting. It looks pretty good. So I would, I would advise you to come over here and, and come play with the New York Knicks and Tom Thibodeau. I think that's a match made in heaven. I don't know. How, how do you want to play Ty Lu, who's comfortable riding or dying with Zubac and Pat Beverly or Tom Thibodeau year, whatever of coaching for him. And he's still like, Derrick Rose is going to win me this playoff game and it's going to work. Everybody knows it's coming. Everybody laughs at it. It's a big joke. And then what does what Derrick Rose and Timothy do in 2021? The same shit they always do. 40 minutes, 20-something points on a W. Come over here, Kawhi. Come to death row. It's a good time. We're having a lot of fun. Last thing I want to say on the game. Oh, oh, Timmy, though, too. Uh, shout out, Timmy. Uh, to Knicks fans for a long time. 
roasted this person, roasted this player for, you know, senselessly, senselessly. Uh, this was a player that was signed to be like a second or third option, was immediately the first option, and I actual gutted and rudderless roster. And everyone was confused. Like, why does he shoot 40%? Why does he shoot 40%? Because he takes nine threes a game because somebody has to take them. He took like 16 shots a game. Ten of them were threes. Everyone's like, oh, he's inefficient. He's shooting like 35% gunning for his life every night. What, what did you expect Tim Hardaway Jr. to do? Younger in his career with the Knicks, everybody just left him to die. What, what did you expect to happen? So, yes, I'd like to see on an actual – you know, professional team that uses his skills the right way now that he's actually, he's good. He's, he's up for, uh, I think they said they might want to extend him. It's well-deserved. He's been killing it. I hope he stays there. That's what he deserves. He got thrown in to get rid of his salary in that KP trade. He's going to end up getting to play with Luca even longer. He's going to flourish with Luca. Everything that KP was supposed to get in the trade. Now, now Timmy's going to get in the trade. So for me, like Sean said, I, now, Hey, I don't care. The, 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 the picks didn't work out for us the way that we thought they're going to work. So I don't really give a shit at this point. No one's going to win this trade because they hate him in Dallas. So, I mean, at this point, who cares? That's moved on. Timmy, go get your bag, buddy. Everybody's rooting for you over here. We're all happy for you. Uh, the guy that we're not happy for though, is the fan who spit on Trey young. He has been banned wow. since I, I, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up in the pod real quick. We don't got to spend too much time on it, but that's, that's look, Everybody's got opinions on the rants, the, the, the chance and everything, the, the fuck Trey Young, whatever. Like The way I look at it is with, with the pros, like there's, there's maybe some stuff that's borderline, but end of the day, like chance or chance. Like as long as it's not like something direct about like your family or something malicious, like if it's just like a, a general fuck Trey, like me personally, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's just a general expletive. You should, you should sort of expect it. Just me. But there's clear lines. You, you can't do that shit. You can't spit on somebody. You can't throw popcorn on somebody. You can't be calling somebody's uh, family out, things like that. And, and when somebody does that, and what bothers me mostly about that is we're, we're on this like mission to, to like genuinely disrespect Trey Young. I don't really get it. I, I thought the fun of, of sports and being a fan was like for 48 minutes when we're on that basketball court, I'm just going to yell a bunch of shit at you. If you prove me wrong, all right, high five. Good job. That, that's why we play the game. He roasted us the first game. He silenced us. All right, man, we talked a whole lot of shit. You had an excellent game. You shut us up. You beat us. I, we have nothing to say, so we have to wait till game two now. And what happens when we get to game two? We're rowdy again. He got a bunch of shit to say. And you know what? He showed up again, and he balled out. He had an excellent game. Even with us tightening up a little bit, he still did his thing. And then and then we sp somebody spits on him. And then it ruins what is actually good theater. You've ruined now what is something that was so fun uh, for, for both sides, you know, Hawks fans want to kill us now because we have this thing going with Trey. Trey wants to beat us now because we have this thing going and then somebody has got to go over the line and do some dumb shit and spit on whether or not he actually got the spit to Trey is not the point. You can't be spitting on anybody anytime pandemic or not. Like, especially not a professional athlete in the last minute of the game. Like, just, just grow up. It, it's bozo behavior. It's disgusting behavior. It's classless behavior. It's, it's behavior that we're better than uh, and, and should be. So Knicks, you know, acted very quickly. They banned him uh, as they should. Uh, you know, and anytime you guys, just as fans, anytime you see that kind of shit, you just got to call it out immediately. Uh, get, get those guys out of here. That's not why we're, we're, we're at these games. That's not why we do this. There's yeah, no just place one, for it. one more thing. That guy who, who did it, he was sitting behind 50 Cent. So he was in like row two or three, meaning he paid – in the thousands for that seat. You paid thousands of dollars to spit on someone? Like, what were you trying to prove? I just don't get it. it 
it's and you know he couldn't do anything back to you which makes even more cowardice i just don't really understand people and the guy who threw popcorn or westbrook in philly same thing it's like what are you doing like you would never do that if you saw him in person i just it's it's mind-boggling that people pay money to do stupid shit like that it just shows they've never been familiar with competition or they're just not smart people i guess maybe that's what it is they're just not smart but just ugh, that's just not a reflection of the fan base either but it, it just, it just ugh. yeah they're clearly not smart it's disgusting and yeah like it's just very important for us as an entire fan base like to call that shit out because that's honestly disgusting it's not what we stand for they don't represent us and yeah, the fact that you had that close to the seat to just act an ass, it's that internet entitlement though. Like people have gotten that, developed that and just feel like they can do whatever. Like you cannot spit on me, bro. Like what? Spit at me? Like that, that's even just like, that's so embarrassing. Like that's just disgusting. That's a like, yeah. And it ruined the theater of it. Like we're going at Trey, Trey's going at us. And that's real cool. The whole fuck Trey Young thing was a little extreme. Like a, game one, when I was at game one and they started, I was like, oof, we're going there. I was like, <laughs> That's what, that's what we're on. I, was, I didn't do it at first. And then there were kids next to me. I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm gonna skip that. But you know, a couple of times it goes around, he gets a couple of bad foul calls. I'm like, whatever, fuck Trey Young, let's do it. But you know, that's cool. You keep it at that. You keep like you keep it at basketball, like you to spit on a guy, man, or say any crazy disrespectful things, throw popcorn at people, like that's just nasty. Like, don't be nasty. Don't, don't be nasty, please. Cause now people, and you know, people, Oh, look at what Nick fans do. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you paid a thousand thousands of dollars to embarrass us, bro. That's nasty. See, it's, it's, it's disgusting. There's no place for it. Like just, it, it really, it really boiled my blood. You got Trey Young's dad tweeting the NBA about it. He's upset and he should be. I mean, nobody, even he was just like, I don't care about the chance. Like I get it. Like that's, that's how this shit goes. Like he's the villain, right? Like he loves it too. So, so why ruin something fun? Like we always got to do this thing where like we have to actually pretend we hate the opposing player and that they actually have to stink. They actually can't be good at basketball. The whole fun in this is that we beat another good basketball player. Trey Young is spectacular at basketball. If we beat Trey Young while we're doing all of this, that's good. That that's a big win for us. That feels great. Yeah, we knocked off Trey after all of that. He was cooking. He got thirty and ten every game. We're saying fuck Trey Young, and he we beat him six seven games. What a series! We're gonna remember that. We're gonna talk about that for a long time. It should never have to be somebody spitting. Like there's enough fun in, in in being a sports fan with everything that's happening in this series. It's only been two games, two games, and there's been a lot. We we don't need to do that. It, it's disgusting. But again. I'm thankful the, you know, the Knicks had banned guys for far less, far less. So that's why immediately I was like, oh, get this guy out of here. There's no, there's no room for that. And immediately they did. We woke up, took a couple hours and he was gone. So they said they banned him. I don't know how they enforce all that, but I trust that they will. No one guarding security over the years and what we've seen take place. So I'm going to assume they got that shit on lock. But, uh, you know, on a high note, one and one mission accomplished. You know, we, we lost home court, but, we we go back to Atlanta, which is often home court. Game, so so here, here we go again. Games three and four. Let's see what they got. I'm excited. I'm, it, now it's a series, man. Now I feel like this is everything we thought it was going to be six, seven games. Like I, whatever happens, as long as it goes the distance, like I, I'm good. To me, this is a worthy adversary. I feel everything we are defensively, they are offensively, and we got to counter. It's, it's a good chess match. I, I like it. Randall woke up. I, I feel good about it. So let's oh. let's get on with it. I really hope it becomes like a rival because we haven't really had a true rival 
Thank you. Even the net shit, they, they forced the net shit. I hate when they forced the rivalry. It was a little bit. Like when they first came, like 2013-ish, kind of. But that's just because you're moving into new. my backyard. Exactly. I want like a real organic, like Pacers. Late organic. 90s. Yeah, that's how. It, that's like, the, that's the best way. It comes out of nowhere. Right. And, and, and now it's a thing. And now for as many years as Trey's in Atlanta, now it's a thing. Like that's. You can't force these things. Right. And we're both growing at the same time, so it's going to naturally progress to where hopefully Trey Young gets a superstar player to get the Knicks add a superstar player, and then they start facing each other in round two and Eastern Conference Finals. You know, like I said, organic. So, I'm excited for the series, guys. If you can't tell. Yeah, yeah, I I'm still not at oh six. I'm I'm at Julius woke up. We played pretty badly for two games and lost the first one at the very last second. I'm still at five games. I'm still at Julius is awake. Win the next three, as you can see on the board. Smack the shit out of them in Atlanta. I want to go in game three. I don't want the Hawks to have a lead in this series again. Even if we have to split the Atlanta games, I want the first one. I want to go in there, win game three. Put the pressure on them, like, yo, win this game or come back to the garden facing elimination. And I want them to come back to the garden facing elimination. And I want to be there because Trey Young made me pack my things up and go home. And I was very sad. I didn't get to have my post game prosperity moment outside the garden. And I'm very upset about it. Even watching people celebrate yesterday, game, it was great. It was a great feeling. I was very happy for you guys. But I was like, wow, that would have been really nice. Like, everybody's dancing through the streets. I'm like, yo, that street was empty as hell when I left. (laughs) (laughs) I would really like that moment. So that's, that's what I'm trying to speak into existence. Let's do it. I'll keep it a bug. I was surprised there was that many people when I came out because like I said, I came out late. I I waited. I didn't come out in the beginning. I waited. I was in, I was in the garden a good 10 minutes at least after the game ended. I was watching Obi shoot just meaningless work shots I'm like he was just practicing afterwards i'm just sitting there watching just waiting for the traffic to file out i go out expecting like it's gonna be kind of rowdy i walk out bro you saw the video there's a dude on a cop car there's another dude swinging a towel i was like what the fuck is going on bro we just won one game this is amazing i like I, every time i looked up and thought i saw where the knicks fans ended like they went further it was it was a very strange i look i think it ends at this street it goes another street over it goes another. like it was wild it was wild. i can't imagine there would be no city left if we actually won something like i I don't even mean that as a joke. Like, if we're this rowdy after one win, like, I could only imagine, like, an actual championship for basketball from the Knicks in the modern era. Like, bro, there's no city. The, the building, buildings are coming down. The subways are going to collapse. There's going to be – it's just going to be flat land after this. Burn to the ground. It felt very – I haven't been to a Knicks playoff game yet. I am going to try and go to game five. It felt very Yankees-ish because I've been to Yankees playoff games, and those are very out-of-body experience cool. So – I can only imagine because I really still think Earl of Pearl said it when he was on the pod. This is a basketball city and look at what just a little bit of success has done. I can't even begin to imagine what a finals would feel like, or even a series win would feel like again. Yeah, no, definitely. So look, let's, uh, we got another, you know, couple games coming up, uh, very strange that the game's like tomorrow after the, the big initial break. Like we had like three days off, and then it's just like one day we're right back at it. It's like throwing me off. I don't like the schedule at all. But yeah, so we got another game coming up tomorrow. So uh, we actually have a, a special Hawks guest coming on, and we'll talk about that. Uh, preview, you know, talk about the first couple games, preview the you know the next couple games, and actually get a Hawks take and standpoint from this, and not just us screaming our Knicks uh, takes into the oblivion. So. 
excited to get that out for you guys along with the mailbag. So we will catch up on another segment of the TKW podcast. Talk to you guys there. And welcome back to another episode of the Knicks Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Maggio. And uh, today I've got my co-host with me, of course, Mike Cortez and Sean Geddes. But enough of our Knicks ramblings, enough of our Knicks analysis, enough of our biased one-sided attempts on these pods. We decided we needed true objectivity. And for that, we needed to have some Atlanta Hawks analysis. Much to the, you know... I don't know if you guys are going to be thrilled or not to be, be getting the Hawks analysis, but we need to provide it for you guys. We need to give you both sides. So to do that, I've got Kevin Chouinard here. Uh, longtime Hawks follow of mine, uh, writer for Hawks.com, host of the ATL and 29th pod, uh, social contributor for Hawks on Belly. Kevin, what's going on? How's everything? Great. Very good. It's, uh, it's uh, interesting and, and fun to cover postseason basketball. We definitely share those same sentiments. Um, one main thing that we were really happy about with this series with drawing in the Hawks was that some of these other teams like the Celtics, they're sort of in the playoffs every year to, to different levels. You know, we know that we know that the heat are always the heat culture. They're always somehow in the mix. Uh, we didn't really want to play them. That didn't seem fun. We're actually just kind of happy. We got the Hawks. Cause it's like two young and up and coming teams to some degree who, you know, Hawks are better known for their offense. Knicks are better known for the defense. And to me, it was just kind of like a fun matchup. Like they got four or five. They're sort of on equal footing in their rebuilds uh, to some degree. And it was like, it's nice to get like, it's like a fresh invigoration of young playoff basketball coming to the scene for both of these franchises. So um, we, we've already covered it well enough from the New York perspective, but from the Atlanta perspective, you know, most notably since Nate McMillan took over, they've been a totally different team. Like what, what's the vibes just with the Hawks overall, with the fans, with the team, like sort of since that coaching change anyway, because it was a pretty dramatic shift in how they've been playing ball since then. Yeah, it's really interesting point. Uh, it's funny because the vibe, uh, with the Atlanta fans <laughs> over the last 24 hours, it has been, it was like a light switch. Like Nate was a savior and then everybody was upset with the second half rotations last night. And it's like, this is who Nate McMillan is, uh, you know, like the old, the old cliche, you know, if you can't handle me at my insert X, you won't have me at my insert Y. It's like, you know, if you can't handle calm, soothing, consistent Nate McMillan, in his postseason reaction, then you really didn't deserve him in the regular season where calm, consistent, easygoing Nate McMillan kind of smoothed out the season and got the Hawks to the fifth seed in the first place when they really didn't have any business being in the playoffs uh, based on where they were when he took over. So, you know, he's not a reactionary guy. He's very consistent. He wants, you know, he wants his team to stay calm. And that's really where their season turned around was, when Nate McMillan took over, they stopped losing their head in the fourth quarter. They were like just headless chickens in the fourth quarter until Nate McMillan took over. They were, they literally at one point uh, were, you know, like the first month that Nate McMillan took over, they had the best fourth quarter net rating for the month of March. I think it was. And until Nate McMillan took over, they were literally 30th. They went 30th to first in, in fourth quarter net rating, just based on, you know, Nate kind of slowing the pace down, putting in more plays for Bogdan Bogdanovich. The team got a little bit healthier, but all of a sudden they could finish games that they were just blowing before that. They had an awful record, but it was all fourth quarter BS that was killing them. 
And when he took over, you know, they got very much more settled. They were more patient. They slowed the, the tempo. They played the way Nate wanted them to play. And, you know, he was a very calm, soothing influence. And now all the fans want him to be very knee jerk and say, get Trey back in. The, the lead was blown. And it's like, you know, I get that. And there are things that I want him to do differently too. But even last night with the fourth quarter substitution pattern and, and, and third quarter too, you know, the starters that everybody wanted back so badly had really blown most of the lead right before they went out. They rested a long time. When they came back in, they chipped the lead away from like 13 to three very quickly. And it's like they were rested. They came in, they did business and, and they lost it after that. But I don't know. Everybody wants Nate to, to uh, you know, see what they're putting on Twitter and, and react to it <laughs> and make his substitutions based on that. I mean, I, I think we can definitely relate here after 72 games of uh, screaming for Alfred Payton to get removed from the starting lineup, screaming. Just I mean, I was like, screaming for that. I was like, why are they doing it? <laughs> it I, I, honestly, like, I, it got to the point where we felt bad because it was like, I just don't know why, like, they're hanging Alfred out the drive. Like, he can't do whatever it is that they want him or hope that he could do. So it was just like, what, what are we – it's just embarrassing for him now. He's just trotting out there for four minutes. It's almost like he's like a make-a-wish kid. You know, he's just like you're trying to like just do him a <laughs> like like some 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 service that is really not there for him because all he's doing is getting the backlash of all the fans. So I I definitely understand because it feels like anytime we tweet anything from our accounts, it always comes back to like well, why why is Alfred in the in the game? Can somebody ask Tibbs why Alfred is starting? Can you ask Tibbs about why he said this about Alfred? It's been the entire season, so I understand. Uh, it's yeah, and I, and I get both sides of that because, like, when I watch the Knicks, I'm like, why is Alfred Payton starting? Why is this happening? But then for me watching the Hawks, I sort of think that the Hawks should be starting Tony Snell because he's a good defender. He's a superior shooter. And he needs Trey Young to set him up. The Hawks have been injured most of the season. Tony Snell got a lot of starts, a lot of time playing with Trey Young. And at the end of the season, they got healthy and they bumped him to the bench lineups where he has to do more off the dribble and it's just not working out for him. And I can see him getting, you know, just kind of the token start, get some, you know, six minutes at the beginning where you're out there to play defense, shoot and let Trey young set you up and space the floor for him. And, and then use some of your other guys who are better at making things happen off the dribble uh, come in when Trey young is out. Um, so, you know, I almost want an Alfred Payton kind of role for the Hawks. But then I look at the Knicks and I'm like, yeah, I don't think the Alfred Payton thing's working out. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I, I think it's an advantage to the Hawks if if the Knicks do that and start Payton again for game three. I and mean, obviously they switched it at halftime, but I don't know. What do you think is going to happen? I hope we talked about it for, we're supposed to only talk for a half hour. We ended up talking a full hour because <laughs> Derek Rose, just, just such a natural, he should be the starter just for the simple fact that I don't think I'm breaking any news where Trey Young is probably one of the lower end defenders on the team, albeit he's an offensive superstar. But on the defensive end, you want to take advantage of him. And I feel like Alfred being out there kind of just let the Hawks off the hook there. So I hope, I have a feeling because before game two, no matter what happened, Alfred Payton started the first quarter and he started the third quarter and he never came out before at least the seven-minute mark. Last night was like a shift. So we're hoping that becomes the big shift. So I think that's the thing. But I did want to ask you, John Collins, 
heading into the series, that was probably my second main concern. Bogey, I know, was going to be good no matter what. He's just a bucket getter. John Collins, though, he had 12 points in game one, shot pretty well. Game two, he's pretty non-existent. Has there been, like, he's a 17-point-per-game score in the regular season. What's what's going on with him? Was he, was he in a part of me if I'm ignorant on any injury or coming into the postseason, but what's what's his deal, you think, that's not bringing the usual John Collins? Yeah, I mean, it's been a funny season for him in that, uh, you know, one of the reasons that the Hawks kind of clicked this season is that Collins went from somebody who was playing a lot of center to somebody who could play power forward with, you know, a non-spacing center in Clint Capella, a role man. Um, and they're both really great role men, but you can't really have two guys rolling at once. <laughs> and since Capella really can't do a whole lot much else, that sort of put the burden on Collins to do other things. And he really has done a good job of that this season. Like, I think if you look at, you know, basketball reference or something with regard to John Collins and you say, well, here's what he did in 2019-20, here's what he did in 2020-21, and you just look at the two sets of the numbers, you're like, wow, oh, like, oh, that's disappointing. But, you know, he's he's really opened things up for the Hawks and being essentially a 40% three-point shooter uh, and essentially giving the Hawks two rim protectors when he's out there playing with Capella. Um, the, the defense in those lineups has been really, really good. So, you know, it's not his comfort zone, though. Like, he's still uncomfortable with it. You know, he's, I, you know, I asked him, like, I think the day they clinched the playoffs is like, you know, what sort of sacrifices did you make if you made any? And he, he kind of clearly outlined that he's kind of gone outside of his comfort zone. His comfort zone is rolling in and getting touches in the post and kind of making really quick post moves. Like as soon as he catches, he's just doing the, you know, a quick one turn over his left shoulder and just kind of elevate over his defender. And he's really good at that. Uh, but, you know, the arrival of Compella, while important, and while something that really sort of elevated their defense to something that they didn't have last season, it just makes it um, so that he's not, I mean, Collins isn't really in his comfort zone. And so, you know, like the, the, all the fans are, you know, upset that the, the starter sat out too long in the fourth quarter. But I, you know, the two things I would hope for from Nate McMillan was one, the Snell thing, which is probably stupid. And that's probably just me being stupid, but I think one that's even better and more tangible than that is I think the Hawks really need to use Collins as sort of a center with the bench lineup, put, put Gallinari more with Capella as a floor spacer, and then, you know, get Collins comfortable uh, with some more touches in, in the bench unit where he can be the role man, where he can be a post-up threat. Um, I, I just think they need to do that. Honestly, I thought they need to just cut the Kongwu minutes. And and I get both sides of that too. You know, you want to play a rookie center because he's the future. I mean, he's a good player. He's going to have a nice NBA career. Are the Hawks winning the NBA title this season? Probably not. So you play him for five minutes in the postseason and he dips his toe in the water, but they're going to lose those minutes. <laughs> so if you're really trying to win the series, I think you kind of put a Kongu aside and give Collins those minutes with the bench, but uh, it, it's weird. That, you know, the other bit, thing I think sorry. is that this is sort of a, a physical series and Capella and Collins, you know, you contrast that to Gibson and, and Randall Collins and Capella are screen slippers. They want to set the screen and they want to be out before contact. Um, 
and you look at, you know, Randall and, and Gibson, you know, it's almost like a run game in football. They're just beating the snot out of you. They want that contact. Um, and I honestly, I think, you know, you look at the Hawks shooting 27% from three or whatever, and yeah, they missed some good looks, but you know, I think there's a physical grind there. You, you try to fight over enough screens and you take enough uh, blindside blocks from tight ends. And, and by the fourth quarter, you're going to feel that a little bit. Yeah. And I, I like your point. I mean, well, I, I hope it doesn't happen because it would make the Hawks better. But <laughs> because, yeah, like when Capella's not on the floor, you guys aren't really getting rim protection anyway. So it's not like the Okongo minutes are really giving you anything. So you would benefit from having John Collins be at the five and operate that way. So I really right. hope that. I mean, Okongo has a bright defensive future, but it's like it, it's in something like a, a, a all five switch lineup. Like he's, he's going to be like the kind of center they can hang with a point guard. He's like six, eight, he can move. He's got a huge wingspan, but he's not, you know, drop, pick and roll coverage, whatever you come at near the rim, I'm going to go up and get it. He's not really that kind of player. Um, so you're, you're, you're exactly right. They lose a lot of rim protector, partly because of what kind of player he's going to be and partly because he's just a rookie that doesn't react quickly enough. Yeah. And so in terms of the defense, like, because offensively, I want to know why Tom Thibodeau isn't just attacking whoever Trey Young is on. I mean, maybe less so when he's on Reggie, but like in game one, Trey Young was a he was able to be hidden on RJ. And in game two, he was able to be hidden on Burks. And we only went to each of them once. So I'm just wondering, like, do other teams attack him? Is that is that where other teams it just seems like the easy way to attack the Hawks defense? And if so, how does McMillan usually respond to that? I mean, for for a while. You know, they've had to do other things. They've, they've had to kind of stretch Bogdanovich and Herter uh, into being sort of point of attack defenders when that's not really their strength. And they've both, you know, been surprisingly good in that role. Like Bogdanovich is smart and he's really strong, but he's not really the kind of player you want trying to fight over a screen. Uh, but but he and Herter have done a good job of that over the 72-game season. But then they got Hunter back, and he's really the guy that they want to use as their point of attack defender. Uh, like they had a, they had a two game set early in the season with Brooklyn and he was just absolutely masterful on Kyrie as sort of a point of attack defender. And it's not really something that he did last season. So it was kind of a surprise to see it this season. Uh, but he's really the guy that you know, when there's one sort of elite ball handler, I think the Hawks are going to try to use him and, and, and they're going to put Trey young on somebody like Bullock. I think that's, you know, uh, somebody who's not huge, who's more of a jump shooter. Um, you know, they, they want to use Trey in that role. And, you know, when we talk about perspective, I, I think, you know, the big thing for Hawks fans, and maybe they're kind of not seeing the forest for the trees at this point, but, you know, Trey is completely a different player than he was 12 months ago, like, or 18 months ago, or whatever it was, like the midpoint of last season where, he just really wasn't engaged defensively and he's never going to be a plus defender, but he's gotten to the point where he, he sticks his nose in enough crap and just, you know, he's making the rotations. He's making the closeouts. He knows where he's supposed to be. And he's, he's, he's doing it. And obviously he's always going to be small, but um, it, it's, it's harder to take advantage of him now than it was 15 months ago. And I, and, and conversely, I kind of think that the Hawks, you know, you, we, we talked about the, the Peyton thing before. 
I think sort of both teams have done a, a bad job hunting mismatches, and I think they kind of need to try to find Rose a little bit more and try to make him work defensively, you know, just because he's not as good a defender as Peyton, and you, you kind of wear him down that way. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because, like, Rose, for example, this is the best defense we've seen him play, which is, like, weird because his first stint he was here, he averaged 18, 5, and 5. And, like, you look at that and you think, well, he, no matter who that is, no matter what team, that's a pretty good year. But it felt like it was such empty stats. And now he's averaging, like, 14, 5, and 3. And we're like, this is the best version of Rose we've seen. And it's because, like, he's just engaged defensively. Like, he, even, like, you know, again, everybody has their shortcomings. He's not going to be super elite. But, like, he's learned to become active enough with his timings, with, like, trying to get some deflections, trying to get into the passing lanes, trying to like, you know, improve around the margins a little bit so that he can become a little bit more impactful. So like Peyton for us, it became like a, an effort issue. Like he's always like even behind on the screens. Like he doesn't even try. He, he dies on the really? screen and the, yeah, he, he dies on everybody says he's like this big, tough defender. He dies on screens and then he's always chasing. He's always like behind whoever the point guard is chasing them. And it's a never ending game because Peyton never catches up. So in theory, yes, like Peyton should be the better defender. And maybe at one point he was, but like that, it shouldn't have sailed, but that ship has sailed. So I, I, I don't know. But in terms of like, yeah, if you, if you want to try to beat the Knicks, like even still, like that would be the, the way that you would do it. You're correct is my point, even with Rose being a better defender, because RJ has been a really good defender. Like you, you don't, that that's an issue. He's very strong. He's very big. Like that's a, a big hulking yeah. frame as a two guard, three guard. You don't want, you don't want to deal with that. Reggie's like big, you know, but like he, he's still a capable defender. Right. And then on top of that, Randall's become a, a very, very good defender this year. He was, he held Hawks over 15 yesterday. Like he's, he's learned to become a good defender in his own right. We know about Noel or Taj or these other guys. So like, yeah, where would you want to attack if you're the Hawks? So you got to attack somebody. You got to, you, you would then want to try to pick on Derrick Rose the same way we're trying to pick on Trey to some degree. But yeah, it, it's an interesting game of chess, though, because, for example, I've seen, like, when you say Trey's a, a different player, I was watching yesterday, and, like, the Knicks did a better job tightening up on Trey and trying to, like, leave DeAndre Hunter open or leave somebody, like, make somebody else beat you. And even then, like, some of, like, just some of the ways that the, the Hawks would swing the ball off of some of the ways that Trey would sort of uh, pick up the defenders and keep them with him like an extra step to make it, it like the Knicks were playing good enough defense, but even then, like, I felt like he was making some passes where like we were scrambling, like we weren't close. Like we would make a rotation and it would be like two right rotations. And then he would kick it to the third guy and we'd be like, and then you get, you have two Knicks running across the court, trying to close out on the shooter. And it's like, Trey, Trey's always been a very good playmaker, very good shooter knows how to work with that gravity, but like seeing him do it in the playoffs against the top defense, one that's already scheming for him and preparing for him in those first and second reads. And he's still finding those third reads like that. That's when I think people don't give him enough credit. Cause it's like, he's really making us work. Like that's not, it's not easy in the playoffs, your first playoffs to come into the garden, do 30, 30 and 10, 30 and seven. Like that, that that's hard shit. Like he's, he's working, man. Like it, yeah. You're right. You're right. Like, I, I think people aren't, aren't giving him enough credit in some regard for it. Cause you know, the, 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 the fouls is easy, it, but he, yeah, he's, he's definitely improved. Yeah. I mean, he, I think it was fair to have questions about Trey coming into the playoffs. And if you've watched two games as a Hawks fan, I think the forget one, one forget 
you know, anything else about this series, you know, it's what is Trey Young going to look like in the playoffs? And he's this guy that, you know, fights and scraps and makes the right read on offense and scores 30 points a game. You got something. <laughs> it's like not every team has somebody who, who can be a, a, a real prime playoff performer. And, and, and Trey looks like a real prime playoff performer in the fourth quarter of game one. You're talking about him making decisions. They ran like a Spain pick and roll three times in a row. And the Knicks defended it three different ways. And every time Trey's like, okay, the opening is here. Once it was behind him, once it was Capella at the rim, and once it was Bogdanovich out in the left corner. And just based on how the Knicks reacted each time, he made a different pass. It was like three consecutive possessions, three straight assists. And they were just like, pinpoint beautiful passes and it's like that's that's unbelievable stuff and i i think the only i the one thing i think that trey probably has to need to do has to do in game three that he didn't really do in games one or especially game two is he has to be cognizant of sort of the psychological part of the game and what i mean by that is this like I was busting his butt out there. And, you know, I think like into the fourth quarter, he hadn't scored yet. And he had like five blocks and 12 rebounds or something. And he's, you know, he's got a roll to the rim time after time after time to be the decoy or the threat or to get the defense to move, to make that space for Trey to turn the corner. And, you know, I think the Knicks more than other teams are letting Trey turn the corner and get into the paint and make decisions from like seven feet away from the paint after he's kind of gotten into floater range. So that kind of takes Capella's game away. And I think Trey has to be cognizant of that, that Capella needs a few touches just to kind of stay mentally in the game. And it's not like a criticism of Capella. Like it's even like a subconscious thing. Like he just, he just needs that reward of getting the ball near the rim early in the game. And Trey, I think in the first quarter, like in the first couple of minutes, tried like a little whip past the pellet that got deflected. But I think there are a lot of times so far in this series where, you know, Trey gets seven feet from the rim and floater range. And he's so good at disguising like the, the, the alley-oop pass looks just like a floater. Like his motion going into it just looks identical. And I think every now and then he's just got to turn a floater into an oop and try it and see if he can get Capella involved just for that subconscious psychological boost that, you know, Capella is ready to, uh, to work with, with Randall and Gibson because they're, they're, they're in <laughs> Gibson, Gibson and Randall are into this series. They are, they are, uh, they are road grading. Um, so He's got to be more physical, and I think just a couple more touches uh, at the rim on some of those rolls would 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 benefit Capella. Yeah, I think we saw that their last game at MSG in the regular season. I don't know if you remember that game. Trey would start off red hot. I think he had 16 points, five assists in the first quarter, and it was basically just him and Capella running a two-man game into the ground, and the Knicks couldn't do anything. So. Based on that, moving now to game three and four, beyond Capella, what do you think the Hawks' biggest adjustment has to be? Because these games are razor thin. Even last night, even though it was a nine-point game, I still think it was a very close game for most of it. What do you think the Hawks have to do to flip the script? 
I think they need one of the things that McMillan said after the game two, and I kind of agreed with it is, is I think they have to be a little bit more patient on offense. He, he wants to not necessarily sort of take the first open shot uh, that comes available because he, you know, he's kind of of the opinion of, you know, make the other team defend the full 24 seconds. And that's kind of been the Hawks identity since McMillan took over is a very methodical half court offense, very patient, um, you know, kind of getting things late in the clock. And I, I, I do think that some of the shots, some of the jump shots that they got, uh, especially in the second half, it felt like they could have been a little more patient trying to work. it. so I think that's one thing um, that they can do a little bit better. You want Bogdanovich taking 13 threes or whatever he did in game two. And I know he didn't make that high of a percentage, but I think they want to change the variety of some of them to uh, possessions where the, the offense probes and, and works the ball a little bit longer than they did in some of the possessions in game two. Bogdan has been giving me nightmares since the RJ steal that never was that ended up as a three in game one uh, yesterday. He was just the fact that he's, he's a very good, like all around player. Like, I, I don't know what you want to put his, his ceiling at or how you want to rate him. I just know that like, I've seen him do a lot of passing. That's good. I've seen him stay under control almost all the time. He always knows kind of where to be. He always knows how to find the space and, and get into it, find a good, you know, opportunity for a jumper. And that's excellent on a team with Trey Young. Where we're trying to overcommit to stopping him because it felt like every time we try to go hard at Trey, trying to run him off a screen, whatever, like he would just flip it out to Bogdan, who was wide open. And I feel like, you know, this series is gonna I said it for the Knicks with like Reggie. I was like, Reggie being like having a really good Reggie game. Like they're going to need that if they want to like steal a game, try to try to, cause we already like, I feel like that they are pretty evenly matched as a whole, but it's going to be like, is Reggie going to step up? Is Bogdan going to step up? Like whoever those kind of third, fourth option type of guys are going to get hot, have a good game. That's going to be how you win or at least stay in it. Because like, I was very fearful. I was at the game last night. I was very fearful. Every time Bogdan caught the ball, I did not like that. He, he was like disgustingly open. I would take it over Trey, but, He's very good. And and I guess I wanted to ask you, it's been a weird weird season for him. You know, he came here, he was he was going to start. I thought he was going to start, but then it was a bench thing, and then he was injured, and now he's come back and he's got a big role. I, I guess, what do you make of his first season, and then what do you make of how they're going to keep using him going forward? You know, even just beyond this playoff series, it seems like he's now figures to be a big part of what this team's core is. Yeah, he's huge. Uh, Steph Curry did him a giant disservice by hitting like 106 threes in April or whatever he did. Like Steph Curry set the record for like threes in a month in April. But like Bogdan was not that far behind him. Like if 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 Steph Curry was like, you know, an outlier of like four standard deviations, like Bogdan was a stand, you know, an outlier of like two and a half standard deviations because he had an unbelievable April like I think he made like 90, 93s in April, which is just absurd. And he did it like hitting 50% of them. Like he was an unbelievable uh, offensive threat in April, but he's, he's, he's perfect next to Trey, like in every sense, like, because, um, you know, he's an unbelievable shooter. Like Gallinari was on a podcast a couple weeks ago. I think it was friend for Schiller's podcast. And he's like, um, you know, they asked him who, who was a better shooter, him or Bogdan. And he said, well, Bogdan's probably a better shooter on the move. And then he said, 
you know, there's a sheet up on the wall where they put, you know, who's done the best at like 10 different drills. And he said, Bogdan had the title for all 10. And like, that's playing with Gallinari and playing with Trey Young. Like Bogdan has all 10 records. It's like, that's, that's pretty impressive. Like he, he's, but it's more than that um, because, you know, he's got to be other things and he's very good in the clutch. A lot of teams are going to try to put two bodies on Trey. There's going to be a lot of trapping for Trey. I haven't really seen that kind of stuff with this series, but all season long, there was tons of, uh, you know, especially in April, that's part of the reason why he got 93s in April was because there were so many teams that were just putting two bodies on Trey and just trying to bracket him. Um, so you need a shooter, but you also need a playmaker because if it's just a bunch of shooters and Trey makes that one pass, that one pass isn't going to be enough. You need somebody who can make that second action happen. And Bogdanovich can do that. And then personality wise, I, you know, I don't think everybody gets along with Trey. Uh, Bogdan does. They are like thickest thieves. Like they are on the same page. Like they're talking shit to each other. They'll be out there like screaming at each other, like two cabbies waving their hands and, Nobody makes anything of it. They like Trey's like, I love Bogdan. Bogdan's I love Trey. We're both competitive. Like they are, they are on the same page, even to the point where they can tell each other to go, you know, F off every once in a while. Um, they like it. So he's just a perfect fit next to Trey. Um, but he's gonna, you know, he's gonna have to shoot a little better. Uh, he, he didn't have the greatest shoot tonight, and I suspect he will. He's he's been a better shooter at home than on the road this season. So uh, if he makes seven or eight threes in, in game three, I'm not going to be shocked. Yeah. So my, my last question for you, because, I, you know, we are obviously biased. It's just the way that it goes. So when we do our preview pods that everybody asks what we think, it's always going to be Knicks in some number of games. It, it, like I, I like always saying Knicks and six to me, Knicks and six made sense. I don't see how this series goes anything less than six games personally, but in your opinion, if you had to try to be unbiased, which I know for us is generally impossible, but for you, what is your general vibe in the series? Because for me, like, although I'm, I'm hopeful that my New York Knickerbockers figure this thing out, I would not be surprised if the Hawks won in six, I would not be surprised if the Hawks won in seven, because to me, when you're this evenly matched, they're, they're, I can't be surprised by any outcome. What, what's your, I guess, your gut? Now that you've seen the Knicks kind of respond in one way, shape, or form to getting punched in the teeth that first game, uh, what's your general feeling moving forward and maybe how the Hawks might adjust? Uh, yeah, it's going to be a very close series. I, I sort of suspected the Hawks uh, might do well in this series. And, and I, I think if you look at some of the computer models that – had sort of laid out outcomes for this series. A lot of them favored the Hawks. And I think some of that was because the Hawks were hurt so much this season, had a lot of injuries. Um, but, you know, I worry about the Hawks a little bit. I, you know, now that I've seen a couple of games, um, you know, I worry about those matchups in the paint. Um, the rebounding in the regular season is different than rebounding in the playoffs. Um, the Hawks were a very good rebounding team in the regular season and they've struggled a little bit in this series and it doesn't look fake. It looks real. Um, so, you know, I, I, after seeing a couple of games, honestly, my enthusiasm is, has dipped a little bit, but I also think they're going to shoot better. I, I think Randall's going to shoot a lot better, you know, going forward in the series, but I also think 
you know, Collins and especially Gallinari. Uh, Gallinari's a really good shooter. That's he's just missed some wide open shots, and I, I think that he's going to settle down. Um, but I thought honestly that the Hawks had an advantage inside going into the series, and I I think it's uh, it's probably about it's more even than I thought it would be. Taj Gibson's good and smart. I mean, that, here's the thing is like, you know, what, what changes about regular season to, to postseason basketball? And I think the biggest thing is that, you know, it gets really physical and it especially gets physical off the ball. Like the calls on the ball don't change that much, but you got to be, you got to be cognizant of what's happening off the ball because off the ball is just forking war. <laughs> and the Hawks, you know, they don't have a lot of guys with postseason experience. They don't have a lot of mean, tough, nasty guys. They have to realize that it's it's kind of a wrestling thing off the ball, and you you got to be physical. You, you know, you're going to have to uh, tighten up uh, and get physical early in the play off the ball before it becomes an on-the-ball play. Yeah, John Collins so, is crying about the. I, I think it's a seven-game series. What's that? I'm sorry, I messed My up. Bad. I was saying John Collins was crying about the screens. <laughs> Did the screens? Are yeah, I mean his his. Yeah, and they weren't necessarily plays maybe that involved him. I think the plays that that maybe they looked at were more plays because I think Hunter and Bogdanovich were getting blasted, but you know Collins you know, the playoffs are going to be trickier for him because he's more about playing, making plays on the ball and he has to get used to trying to thrive in those wrestling matches off the ball. That that's an area where he can get a lot better. Um, he's kind of a light guy. He gets pushed around a little bit, but yeah, I think I don't, I don't know that he was necessarily referring to his own situation. Cause like the fouls that Collins was committing were, they, they were fouls like the, but but like the screens that Randall and um, you know I asked McMillan today I was like you know what do you think of the screen setting and he's like I think the league needs to look at some of the screens and I wasn't trying to get him in trouble but uh, <laughs> I don't I don't want anybody at the Hawks coming to me and saying yeah you got Nate in trouble you got Nate Avon no I was just I was sort of thinking that he would say you know we need to be more physical but but yeah you know. You have to see what the refs are doing and you have to play by whatever the rules are for that day. Taj Gibson is a genius because when he sets a moving screen, like his heels and his toes don't get like more than like four inches off the ground. It's like this little like deer shuffle where the feet barely move. Like that's, that's an important scale. Like you got to get good at that. And if he can get away with it, you need to watch the video and you need to get away with it too. Like learn and evolve and, adapt to what the situation at hand is that that's that's something that the hawks are going to learn about themselves in this postseason i think yeah yeah young teams uh is, is the end of the, the you know kind of the the theme here young teams are gonna to have to learn how to like what the playoffs are about like you said before playoff rebounding is different the regular season rebounding everything's different in the playoffs the way they scheme against you how they're going to close out on you, how they're going to grab you on screens, how physical they're going to be on those things. So it, it's a learning curve. And for a lot of guys who haven't played here consistently yet, like you don't know why those things are, it's going to feel different. Like I don't even blame John Collins to, to some degree. Like 
as a Knicks fans, I, you know, I like reacting to it, of course, but like, it makes sense when like you haven't been here before and suddenly you're dealing with a much more physical game. It's going to be like, this isn't, I've been playing three, four years. I never had to deal with all this. Now this is not a foul. It's a, it's a different thing you got to get used to, but that's why the playoffs are the playoffs. So, you know, you got, you got to test your metal here. So we're going to see, but you know, really, really a fun series so far. I think Hawks fans, Knicks fans had, you know, pretty high expectations for the entertainment value in this one. And I think through two games, uh, it, it's been great theater aside from the, uh, that really just disgraceful, uh, piece of shit fan who, who wanted to spit in Trey's direction yesterday. But aside from that and, and him swiftly getting banned for life, thankfully, um, or indefinitely anyway, I would hope for life. I don't see any reason why you would need to lift the indefinitely on that. But um, aside from that, it's been great theater. You know, Trey's been an excellent villain, a- excellent heel embracing it. That's, that's, that's the way that you want. And he's showing up every, you know, not just with the words, it, he's showing up big and big moments across the whole game. Uh, the Knicks defense finally stepping up Randall, figuring out a way to try to win them that game yesterday. So one, one split going to Atlanta is like, that's kind of how you want it. If it was two Oh, in either direction, it would have felt a little bit like disappointment. I mean, this is, this is how it's got to go. It's got to go tit for tat all the way to the end and and may the best team win. So, uh, you know, Kevin really appreciate you hopping on and and talking a little Knicks Hawks with us. Uh, It's nice to not always just get the Knicks perspective on things. So really appreciate you coming on and making the time for us. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's good uh, to have, uh, both sides. I, I like seeing the Knicks side of you too. So yeah, you know, appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more on Twitter and everything. Uh, but you know, hope everybody enjoyed, uh, this pod. Hope that you enjoy the perspective. Give us a five-star rating and review. Check the Knicks follow the Knicks wall. And of course, make sure you follow our special guest, Kevin Chenard here again, uh, writer for the hawks.com. You know, this is somebody you, you want with your Hawks analysis, it, definitely for this series. You can follow him at KL Chenard. That's K-L-C-H-O-U-I-N-A-R-D. So go follow him on Twitter. You won't regret it. And on that note, we will talk to you guys next time. Take it easy. Have a good one. Thanks, Kevin. Adios. Peace.